Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Attention. Attention. They are not ready for prime time. Prime time. Prime time. Prime time. That's the name. Prime time. Prime time. What time is it? Showtime prime time. It's XL prime time. Featuring Joe C. Dang it. Matt Hayes. I'm not running over the Barnett Tower and heaving myself off. Mia O'Brien. One of those bugs just flew in my head. Yeah, and Leon Searcy. Keep everything above the way. How you like me now? How you like me now? Things are cranking. In the offseason, it never stopped the NFL clock. Everything is up for grabs in the offseason as far as who's going to fill these positions, head coach positions, coordinator positions. Your Jaguars have made their move. The Titans inside the division have made a move. We got all sorts of coaching and I guess you could call it uh, GM news that we will get into today. Two of the head coaching jobs the odds have been pulled off the board. Uh, so that's definitely worth getting into. Welcome in. It's XL Primetime. We are minus Matt Hayes today. Uh, he will be back tomorrow, but we are cranking on a Beaver Toyota Beaver Chevy Tuesday. Thanks for hanging out with us. You can hang out with them. They are there to wow you when it comes to shopping for a brand new ride. Just go online, really, to start things off. BeaverChevrolet.com, BeaverToyotaStAugustine.com. Full lineup of SUVs, trucks, economy, and beautiful sedans. You can get both of them on their lots. Now, uh, it, let's just at least start with some of the conversation that's going on around the coaching carousel, uh, the fallout. And, Leon, I know that you're amongst the people. Mia, you're amongst the people. I am as well. All Duval, you guys let us know from about – I'm trying to remember when it was reported yesterday. I think it was in the noon hour when Shefty put out the report that Ryan Nielsen was going to be named the defensive coordinator. Anyway, what has the reaction been as far as fans go? Because this is I, – I would – I would categorize him as a bit of an unknown name to everyday Jaguar fan. Well, I mean, for me, and I, I, it's wait and see. I mean, everybody's a good hire until you find out, until you see the product at work. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt over the offseason that was an excellent hire, you know, because of what he was able to do at Atlanta. Yeah. Um, the, the the blitz packages, because he, run, he runs a lot of press man, a lot of press man, 50% of the time he runs press man. This team has only ran it like 16% of the time. So that's going to be very interesting, the personnel yeah, that he's going to be able to work with here and then go out and get, whether it be in free agency or in the draft. Yeah. And I was talking about this at, uh, at the um, crosstalk, mm-hmm. is that if I'm Darius Williams and I'm I'm Tyson Campbell, and I'm going into the last year of my contract, and I've been zone premise mass majority of the time, and yeah. we're going to go more press man, you can look at it two ways. You can either you can, you can flourish in it yeah. and make your money. Yep. Or you can struggle in it and cost you money. So, uh, so you can get exposed. So those are going to be some of the concerns, I think, moving forward. But right now it's the offseason. It's called offseason optimism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The big fella is feeling it. It was a great <laughs> hire. We invented every, it. Every, yeah, we definitely invented it. <laughs> you know, everything is violins and harps right now. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to take it all in as a great hire for them. Violins and harps. Yes, yes. We got to yes. come up with like a sound effect. I do for like that, that one. I like yeah. that, JJ. Yeah. We got to workshop that. Um, I agree with Leon. I mean, 
from industry perspective, I can tell you that Ryan Nielsen, highly regarded. We documented that very much yesterday um, with some of the guests we had on, some of the intel I was getting. Um, people believe he is a future head coach in the National Football League. Uh, I know uh, at least one of my contemporaries, our contemporaries, mm-hmm. J.P. Acosta with SB Nation, posted a photo of him. Kind of looked like Matthew McConaughey in mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in one he of his West, like in one of his Western films. Okay, gotcha. And he was like, my, and his caption to it was, "My defensive coordinator looks like he has seen some things." Um, I, I, what I couldn't help but kind of draw the comparison to, and obviously one was an offensive coach, was the assistant head coach of that same Saints team that Ryan Nielsen was the longtime defensive line coach for Leon. I couldn't help but listen to some of the sound bites from his time in Atlanta mm-hmm. and hearing about his hands-on work with players and get a little Dan Campbell. Mm, that okay. was the vibe that I got. A kneecap feel is I, was, I like that. I was I like thinking that. about it, and, like, the boys on Jaguars today were talking about it, too. Like, you know, attack and aggressive. Like, that's defensive line coach speak. Sure. But this is a guy who literally has the bags on his hand and is the one who's slapping and mm-hmm. trying to get into the fray, was the defensive line coach in addition to the defense coordinator in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I know there has been some in the industry and in the world of football that don't necessarily believe defensive line, offensive line coaches translate to coordinators. Clearly, the folks in Atlanta would beg to differ. And I think, and we can certainly get into this, to your point, Leon, there are players on the Jaguars right now who will benefit from this hire. And there are those players who will be challenged or perhaps even cut because of this hire. Yeah, you got to make them better. Yeah. And so our, our buddy John Shipley of Jaguar Report actually went through and went through a couple of the guys who this is a home run for them. The first two, of course, Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. Um, when you look at the linebacking, outside linebacking core or lack thereof, that Ryan Nielsen had in Atlanta – There is no question that since his time in New Orleans with Cam Jordan, which I do want to make sure we pull up that clip from Cam Jordan when he was hired away from New Orleans last year, he spoke so highly of Ryan Nielsen. Just take a look at the work he did there. Okay, now look, the criticism is going to be he's only been a defensive coordinator for a year, uh, went into his second second year. year. Yeah, And so this will be his second full year as a defensive coordinator, which is not unlike what Mike Caldwell was when he came here. He had just been uh, announced as his first time as a defensive coordinator. So there's only a year – growth okay right. guy's been in the job and and Mike Caldwell got fired after two years on the job so mm-hmm. right um so so with Trayvon and Josh Allen you look at the track record um for Ryan Nielsen so obviously Cam Jordan Trey Hendrickson who has mm-hmm. bloomed in Cincinnati we'll get oh, to Cincinnati yeah. here in a second he even was the coach at NC State prior to jumping to the National Football League a guy by the name of Bradley Chubb ever heard of him yeah developed him into obviously a first round pick and then you go down the line of some of those defensive line guys who, whether it's Devon Hamilton coming off of the spinal abscess injury, which, I mean, look, if there's one guy that I'm going to give a pass to, it's him. He had mm-hmm. as dominant a training camp, and I know you Nooners out there are sick and tired of hearing, they had a great camp, and then where'd they go? Well, he, he literally, like, had almost well, a life-changing illness. Yeah. Um, so he gets a pass, and so this obviously would be potentially a, a great – a great hire to help him get back to the top of his game. And some of the other young defensive linemen, i.e. Tyler well, you Lacey. Can use, you can use Grady Jarrett as an example because yep. what he was able to do interiorly for Atlanta, yep. that you need you need that type of guy. But look, Foley Fadakasi and, and Demetrius Demethook, uh, that I affectionately refer to uh, you know, in honor of Demetri Hill uh, as a Gator back in the day. But anyway, Demetrius is on with Jaguars today, and he's talking about the fact that Foley was one of the most disappointing players this year. There's no getting away from that. Interiorly, and you you know we talk about this all the time. Uh, and and Devon, I just can't 
I couldn't get past the fact that everyone said when he's healthy, he would be just as strong as he was before. I, I can't buy that. I, I don't believe that because he being sick, you lose some strength. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, initially during the first half of the season, when our defense was playing pretty good, stopping the runner, I, I, you know, I gave the defense in front a pass mm-hmm. because those guys interiorly aren't built to get pass rush. They're built to push the pocket, hold their gap, be in gap control, and make tackles on the run. But then when they later on part of the season, when they, we start getting gashed for running plays, yeah. and then we're still not getting any pass rush from the interior, that's when I had a problem with them because, you know, you guys know their role. Those guys knew their role early on in the season. We're gap control guys. We're not pass rush guys. We push the pocket guys so the outside interior guys, outside guys can get the sacks and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But when they start getting gashed in games and giving up big yardage interiorly, I had a problem with it. I said, "This is not this. This game can be going on. It's going to be happening." <laughs> and and, and, and it's, coinc- it's not coincidental that the fact that you know we started eight and three and then we we lost out primarily because of the fact we we couldn't stop the run. Right. We exactly. couldn't stop the run, and we gave up big plays in the run and the pass. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing to say, "Okay, listen." You know, we can't get any real pass rush on guys. But then when you can't get any pass rush, you get a big place right. in the run game, in the pass in the pass game, then that's a big problem. No, you know, exactly. All right, now listen, we opened up our show yesterday saying about this time a year ago, you were, you were basically just coming out of that playoff high that mm-hmm. you had been on, and you were that close to beating the Kansas City Chiefs. That, that happened a year ago when we were coming out of divisional playoff weekend. So I said yesterday, unfortunately, we can't keep referring to that because it's, it's, it's over now. This team mm. was nowhere near the postseason, losing five of the last six. Now I'm going to ask you this question, and I want you to, like YouTube, if you're on YouTube, you can see us just by searching 1010XL. I want you to look at Leon when we play these highlights, okay? Because I'm going to ask you if mm. you were in the building or what do you remember when we go back in time? Second and ten. Brunel throwing out of his own end zone. He goes down, and there's the safety. Josh Evans. With five minutes and 13 seconds to play in the third quarter. Derek Mason and Isaac Bird are deep. This is Mason from the 20. 35, 40. Midfield, and there he goes. Uh, yeah, honestly, just just bring the sound down because that was when every bit of hope. Well, I mean, th- th- there's the another colossal collapse. You talk about this team and losing that season right there, that game with everything on the line, number one seed at home to Jack. Because listen, when, when I first came to Jacksonville and I got interviewed by Tom Coughlin, all right, he had a he had a I'm gonna say he had a dream. Okay, uh-huh. he, he said he said to me, Leon, you come here and help this team out. He said our goal is to have the road to the Super Bowl come to Jacksonville. Now, you got to remember, this was 1996, and y'all were just 4-12 last year. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking at Tom, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> what are you selling? What goods are you selling? But for real, he, that, he was building his team to ultimately be in a position where the road – and the hell if it didn't happen. Yeah. In 1999, we went 14-2, and and the road to the Super Bowl came through Jacksonville. <sighs> and so I played that sound. J.J. played that sound just so you could – hear it, and maybe go back in time, that was, we are, and I don't know whether you would want to say celebrating the anniversary, because that is no celebration, mm-hmm. but anyway, January 23rd, yeah, two dozen years ago, that's how it went down, and by the way, Jacksonville had the lead in this ball game mm-hmm. at the half, uh, was up 14-10, to 10, and then was not able to close the deal, and in part, because you had two Steve McNair touchdowns, and then you had that 
McNair, or excuse me, Brunel safety, and then Derek Mason, when you had to kick it back off to him, he went 80 yards. Can you remember that safety play? Uh, yeah, of course I can remember that safety play. I'm not going to mention the person's name, but he didn't. He, I, I, I made the call. The call was a squeeze call. Uh-huh. And the squeeze call meant that me and the fellow next to me that was playing right. was supposed to double team Josh Allen to the linebacker. All right. That meant the tight end was Josh Evans. Yep. Josh Evans. Yeah. That means the tight end was supposed to come down on on the freak. All right. And the end guy would go and, and Brunel would throw the ball. Well, the guy that was next to me, instead of squeezing with me, squeezed with the center. And then and then totally left Josh Allen. I'm Evans, thinking I'm gonna get yeah. half, I think I'm gonna get half a body. Mm-hmm. He blows through and he makes his that play right there, I, I, it signified the beginning of the end because that gave them momentum. Because we had them on the ropes. We started this game, what, 14 nothing? Yeah, it was. We had him on the ropes. Yeah, you guys. Uh, you know, you guys Brady. definitely uh, had plenty of momentum going into the game. Yeah, that too. And I'm a little upset about that too. I'm going to tell you why, JJ. I'm going to tell you why they stole my Sunday. They stole my Sunday. I mean, people, they, they, can, they can laugh and ridicule the song and all like that. Right now, you could have a recording yeah. contract. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, if we had gone to the Super Bowl, that, I, that song would have went platinum. Oh, Everybody yeah. in Jacksonville would have I mean, look at the Eagles it. right now. Oh. They're out here putting out Christmas albums yeah. ever since yes. they won the Super Bowl. Yes. So, it's listen, it, it's just a matter of the if Eagles you win, they love Christmas you. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You've if, never listened to no. it? No. Nick Foles? Yeah. No, with like the offensive linemen. They didn't win the Super Bowl. Oh, last year. Yeah, last year. They got to the Super Bowl. But it was a bunch of guys who were a part of that music. Super Bowl team. Yeah, listen, started recording music. If, if, listen, if, if that we had gone to the Super Bowl and won the Super Bowl with that song, uh-huh. I have a street right now named after me. <laughs> It'd be Cersei oh, Way. Oh, y'all, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. Leon Lane, I don't doubt yeah, it. Yeah, I like that better, Leon yeah. Lane. All right, so if you were there, if you can go back in time, I know there's all a Duval listening right now going, why are you bringing this one up? But at the same time, you tasted it. You were close to it. And I, I, here's where I'm at, okay? Uh, let's make this the 10-10 take, JJ, because I'm going to pair these two things up. I definitely want you guys to let us know if you were there and your memories of it because it was January 23rd, 2000. Now, Josie's 10-10 take. Slow smoked and served up by Sonny's Barbecue, local pitmasters since 68. So you might be able to chew on this as you order up maybe some delicious ribs, chicken, turkey. Anything that you've got on the menu at Sonny's, all that great protein, all those tremendous sides, you might chew on this while you're ordering up some delicious Sonny's at any one of your area, Sonny's on the First Coast. We are down to four teams, including your Jacksonville Jaguars and what has now been known as my Detroit Lions. And I don't want this to end. There are four teams, people, that have never made it to the Super Bowl. Mm. Four teams that have never made it to the Super Bowl. Now, you know I'm rooting for my Lions, but I don't want this list to get down to three. It could, bro. I do not want this list to get down to three because it'll come down to just the teams left after Detroit if they crack that egg and get to the Super Bowl for Don't the you want to be more special, though? I don't know, man. Do you see my dilemma? This is a Duval dilemma. Yeah, because- but, like, I get what you're saying. It makes you look bad, but yeah. it also gives you – people empathize with you. Oh, my God. You maybe. Know, like, maybe the national media will feel more bad for the Jets. Because I don't know if you saw this, JJ, uh, and I'm sure anyone who was watching the broadcast, Lions, Bucks, they did a really good job of going back in time and painting a picture of – of the Ford impact in Detroit, Motown, and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, they showed all these great old rides from back in the day, and it showed you that they had won championships. But in the Super Bowl era, they've not been relevant. They've hardly ever even been. And so now you got Lions, 
Texans, Jags, Browns. Those are the only four teams that have not been to the Super Bowl, and I am conflicted. Well, I can tell you that. Well, here's, here's the thing. If you're a Jag, you should be rooting for the Lions to go because it's like – it's like going into an audition and you're the, la- the last four mm-hmm. and they're going on stage. And, yeah. you say, and you say, if they can make it, we can make it. That, that's the way you got That's the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. Because if they can make it, that lets you know that there's, there's hope for Duval out there. I hope, I hope, I hope. Uh, because this team definitely needs to turn around and Detroit has done it. Uh, Mia mm-hmm. mentioned the Dan Campbell-esque feeling uh, of Ryan Nielsen, the, the now new defensive coordinator for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And you do need that attitude because there's no question he has breathed life uh, into Motown, into the Motor City. He really has. He's created uh, a, a toughness. And we talk about this, like the personality, the, the the way you identify with the team. They're tough, but you know what else? They got some serious skill and speed on that football team. They did mm-hmm. not ignore that. They didn't just come in and say, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. They said, we're going to outrun you, outgun yeah. you, and punch you in the mouth. Listen, I, I've always been a proponent of that your team is a mirror image of their coach and how he, he – how – how he approaches the game. When I was with the Steelers, mm-hmm. Bill Cowher, you know, tough nose, physical. Oh, yeah. We're going to run the ball. We're going to play sound defense. We're going to get out of it. We're, we're never going to come out of the game feeling like we weren't the toughest. Come here, Tom Coughlin, same way. Hard nose, tough, physical, a stickler on accountability, mm-hmm. doing the right things, executing at the highest level. We couldn't stand him, but we loved him. All right? But he was about toughness. Tom Coughlin made sure that when you left that game, you were going to be the toughest team yeah. off the field. Well, Tom Coughlin came into Jacksonville. Obviously, unlike, well, maybe it is kind of like the Detroit Lions after firing mm-hmm. Matt Patricia and Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell come in. It was ground zero. There was nothing there. And then you traded away Matt Stafford. So mm-hmm. quite literally, you were starting over. But mm-hmm. Tom Coughlin arriving in Jacksonville was given a blank canvas. And one of the first things he clearly did, and again, I was three years old at the time, but from what all my contemporaries have said, is he came in and he said, I'm going to make a hard-nosed football team. I am going to put together a roster that is gritty, that wants it more, and that is physical. And our practices will reflect that. Our personnel will reflect that. How we coach will reflect that. And that's what Dan Campbell's done. He went in. And, again, we had this conversation last week. Like, Mm -hmm. your identity, I know everyone loves this gritty and, like, tough. Like, those are the buzzwords. It doesn't have to be that. Mm -mm. You could go in and you could say, we're going to, I don't know, like, we're gonna pass like crazy. Look at the you know the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner and the Rams. Would you yeah. would you call <clears throat> them like a physical tough team, or would you say no. it was just an elite offense? Well, no, no, it was just an elite offense. They had they they had talent. They had absolute talent. I mean, I look at look at the George Seifert Niners that one with Steve Young. George Seifert was one of the most mild mannered people you can imagine on totally the sideline. But he, guess what he had? He had dogs. He had players on both sides of the ball. He had he had playmakers on both sides of the ball. Like you just said, great. Dick uh, was Vermeil. Yep, mm-hmm. Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil. Yeah, if Dick Vermeil was mild nice mannered. Now yep. you know, grandpa. You know, but, but he had he stars. And by yeah, the way, he had stars on his team. He would cry just like Dan. Campbell. He would cry. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and then would. we talked last week about the Seattle Seahawks, who I think before gritty became oh, the buzzword, yeah. the Legion of Boom was tough. Yeah. But we we talked about it last week. How a couple of them have since gone on podcasts after Pete Carroll's whatever you want to call, dismissal, Mm -hmm. demotion, Mm -hmm. whatever we're calling whatever happened in Seattle. And they've said, like, it wasn't just about getting tough guys. It was about getting guys that had no other choice. You either succeed, you you provide for your family, because you know you can't go back to where you were. Mm -hmm. It was getting a group that was desperate in the best way. And that was pre the gritty word. And so that's where I think, 
when we talk about building a team and having that philosophy, the Lions did it right because they started from scratch and they had a vision. I still mm-hmm. want to know what the vision is in this town. Yeah, the vision and the identity. I mean, what, what's the identity of the, of the Jaguars? What, what do they stand on? I, you know, I, I was talking about this, you know, last week, is that when, that one year I was with the Ravens. It said, when you walked in that lobby, it said, play like a Raven. That was a staple. Playing like a late Raven meant being a champion because they had accomplished it. They exactly. were champions. Yeah. Or when I was in Pittsburgh, when I walked in that lobby, and before I made that right to go to the locker room, the Lombardis are standing right there. That lets you know there's a standard here yeah. that anything less than that won't be won't be tolerated. Right. I think the Jaguars need to come up with some kind of philosophy or standard of what we are, what we stand for, mm-hmm. and whatever it is, either you live up to that or you leave us alone. Yeah, honestly, I, I I consider Duval, uh, you know, just a, a melting pot of so many different categories of individuals. Not all young, not all old, not all blue collar, not all white collar. But we're talking about you know Florida man, every man, okay? And 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 so you want that identity? Uh, yeah, we got the beautiful beaches. We can chill if we want to, mm-hmm. but we also work our tails off. And so that type of personality could be shown through on the defense. When they had all those takeaways, when we had Saxonville, mm-hmm. those were identities that this football team in this uh, city could could identify with. And then if you coming out of last year, you know what I'm thinking the identity was? Mm-hmm. It was Trevor. Okay, it was sunshine with the flowing locks, mm-hmm. uh, throwing it to Ingram and and Kirk and Ridley and all this. That's and and Etn doing his deal coming out of the backfield. I thought we were going to have a dynamic offense that you could easily say this is your, this well, is the personality of the football. Well, well here, here's the thing: we I, I think leadership let us down this season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say I injuries. I agree with you. You could say injuries and stuff like that. You can make excuses, but leadership let us down. There's no way if you had enough leadership in that locker room that you allow anything like this to happen. Okay, so I was going to ask you: Is it coaching leadership or player, player leadership? Player that you're talking about I mean, okay. it could be both. Yeah. It could be both. I think it is both. But I, I think I, I'm a way heavy. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go sixty forty. Okay, because I'm gonna go play because players play. Yeah. I'm a coach's coach. And, you know, I know it's, it's their part to give them the game plan and it's players' job to go out there and execute. But the players get, you know, they get the last say in it, of it all. Mm-hmm. The way you play, the way you execute, the way you hold yourself accountable, your attack style, all that is on the players. So I'm saying, I, I told you, I've never been in a locker room to, I've, I can't fathom being in the position that this team was in and it's collapsing down the end. I, I've never been in a locker room like that. I've been, like I said, I've been on either two sides of the fence. I've been a very good team right. that finished well. Or a very bad team that finished good, mm-hmm. you know. And then there's leadership in the locker room that that you depend on to make sure. Listen, when you when you're three and four, like I was with the Steelers, when you're three and four, you're thinking that you know Bill Cowher come in there and say, hey, you know, we no 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 no, you know what he did? He said, listen, we're gonna put the pads on, we're gonna do nine on seven, we're gonna take them off, we're gonna get back to being grimy and dirty, like we are, run the ball in defense. Love it. That's what he said. We're gonna get back to being grimy and dirty. All right, we're going to get our hands dirty. We're going to run the ball. We're going to play sound defense. We won eight straight after that. Eight straight, lost the last game, went into the championship game. Next thing you know, we're in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Leadership in that locker room would not let us lose it. We were three and four. Well, let me give you another example real quick as we're just kind of taking a look at what was last year and what wasn't this year. Mm-hmm. Rayson Jenkins had an incredible year last year finishing strong, making mm-hmm. plays, and you expect, expected him, at least I did, to step up. 
He didn't have as good a season this year as he did a year ago. The opposite is true of Josh Allen. Josh Allen went eight games without a sack last year, and then he all of a sudden rose up this year. Contract year, all that kind of stuff. But the point is is that you didn't have consistency across the board with all the guys that made plays last year that you thought would make more plays this year. Trevor being the poster boy of that as well. Here's the thing. Not making the same type of play. Here's the thing. If I'm a teammate and I care about I would ask him why. I will confront him. You have to you have to ask the tough questions because you can't get take it personal. Mm-hmm. You got to ask the tough questions as a teammate. Why aren't you playing like you were last year? Yeah. Listen, I told you a guy named Carlton Hasseray, you know, God rest his soul. He told me, he played next to me. He told me, he said, Sirs, you ain't playing worth a damn, bro. Step your game up or you're going to get replaced. Yeah. That saved my career. I'm just saying, sometimes you got to tell your teammates. You got to say, hey, bro, what's going on? Right. Why aren't you playing like you played last year? But you, but when you say that to him, your game better be on point. Exactly. <laughs> this is what I was going to ask you. Let's, yeah. let's uh, carry this over because there's not enough stars on this football team mm-hmm. that can call out the other star. Yep. Honestly, True. there is not enough. Kirk might have been able to do it. Ingram might have been able to do it. Cam might have been able to do it, but he had a four-game suspension that he mm-hmm. had to start the season off with. There just weren't enough of them. Mm. That's for sure. Quick programming note as well as our engineer extraordinaire, Richie Clemens, is sitting in studio with us. We are working on the live stream right now. Uh, he is quite literally working on getting it up and running. We hey, had MacGyver, some why don't you pick it up technical difficulties this morning for those of you who watched Jaguars today and the drill, but we are rectifying <laughs> those situations, a.k.a. restarting the entire system, and we will join you on YouTube, Facebook, and X live shortly. All right, we've got uh, one of Leon's old mates uh, mm-hmm. is going to come up, talk a little bit about Detroit and that feeling up in Motown. We will do that coming up. Beaver Toyota, Beaver Chevy, they bring you today's show. Thanks for hanging out with us. Minus Matt today, but you could definitely be a part of it. Just hit the text line, 641-1010. Were you at the bank, the stadium, January 23rd, 2000, when this team lost to those hated Tennessee Titans? Grilling Up Lunch with Leon and the Sausage Dudes. Sausage with a purpose on 1010XL. For those of you looking for us on YouTube, Facebook, X, we are working on that as we speak. Uh, Turns out someone unplugged our cameras in the 1010XL World Headquarters studios. What's up with that? Who would have thunk? But I'm glad that engineer extraordinaire Richie Clemens got to the bottom of it, so we will be up and running here shortly on a Beaver Toyota, Beaver Chevy Tuesday right here on XL Primetime. No Matt Hayes today. He is on the IL, reserve injured list. What are we calling it these days? Yeah, IR. The illness list, Definitely. the reserve injured yeah, list. Yeah, IR. I know they, they flipped the acronym. Oh, the, they don't build them like they used to, Liz. That, yeah, they're not IR. Now it's reserve slash injured yeah, list. So, uh, hope he gets better. Though. Yeah, he's out sick today, he but he sick. will be back later this week, hopefully tomorrow. Josie, Mia O'Brien, Leon Searcy, and JJ LaSelva with you till 3. Coach Campo set to join us at 2 p.m. The news of the day in the National Football League. There is joy in Whoville, and by Whoville, I mean Nashville, Tennessee. Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals, has been hired to fill their head coaching vacancy up in Tennessee. By all accounts, from what I've seen, they feel like they got their guy, Josie. Uh, Every one of our contemporaries at 104.5 The Zone yesterday morning was clamoring that they shouldn't let Brian Callahan out of the building after his second-round interview yesterday. And they quite literally wouldn't let him leave until they made an offer he couldn't refuse. I guess I have to – when you look at what Mike Vrabel did, he did kind of come out of nowhere 
when you consider being a successful head coach and the job he did up there in Tennessee. So their thinking, their logic, you know, anything like that, if they see the characteristics that you want in a head coach and you, like like you just described, you don't want to let them get away, I get it. Now, look, there's going to be all sorts of questions because they've gone through some offensive coordinators up there. Arthur Smith was uh, hired away from Atlanta, and then they promoted – who was it, Todd Fleming, if I have that name right? Uh, mm. I think uh, Todd, Todd's – Wasn't he the one who then got arrested for the DUI? It just – I'm trying to remember if, if I have the, the the last name right. I may not. But anyway, did, he got heavily criticized, just got hammered left and right, and then he might have gotten into you know into trouble running a foul with the law. But the bottom line is, is they like what they see offensively. Mm-hmm. They know that they've got Will Levis – that they're going to try and build this thing around. They don't necessarily have a whole lot of other things, Leon, but that's the guy that they want to build it around, and they like at least the play design, the chemistry that the coach has with the offensive guy. Yeah, I mean, this is all about Will Levis and his development moving forward. I would think so. You know, I mean, because, I mean, he worked, he's worked with Joe Burrow, and you saw what he was able to do with, with Joe Burrow uh, offensively. I mean, he, he, didn't have, he don't have the weapons that Joe Burrow has as, as offensively, but he's going to have to work on that. And it, it probably is – another concern is going to probably be – that offensive line to protect Will Levis because if he's there in future moving forward and you move this coordinator is going to develop him, you got to make sure he's not on his backside half the time or half the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you got other proponents that are moving on. Derrick Henry's gone. Ryan Tannehill's going to be gone. So it would be very interesting to see what they – you know what, I'm, I'm, I want, to be honest with you, I know people are not going to take – they're going to take this – they're going to take it the wrong way. I want this – I want these other teams to be better. I, I really do because then it's going to have to, it's going to force Jack- Jacksonville's hand. Because initially, going into the season, we thought it was going to be a cakewalk. Mm-hmm. I was talking about we were going to go 8-0. I mean, we were going to go 6-0 <laughs> in the division, 5-1 at worst. We're going to run through it or whatever. Listen, iron sharpens iron. This team has got to be able to stay on its toes. If the, if, the, if the Titans are making moves, the Texans, you saw what they did in the playoffs. The Colts have got uh, your guy, um, Anthony, Richardson. Anthony Richardson, coming back. You know, so I mean, if if they want it, this team wants to be relevant, the AFC South's going to be tough. Uh, yeah, the Colts uh, won nine games with with all due respect to our yeah. boy Gardner Minshew mm-hmm. at the helm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With an offense that was not created for him. Obviously, True. it was finessed and fine-tuned for him as the season progressed and it became clear Anthony Richardson was not returning. Mm-hmm. But all mm-hmm. the credit in the world to Shane Steichen. And what's crazy, the other kind of semi-biggest news that I think is something worth following is Bobby Slowick, the offense coordinator for the Houston Texans, mm-hmm. has a second-round in-person interview today with the Washington Commanders. He is also expected to interview again with the Carolina Panthers. I bring that up because, to your point, Leon, you have Shane Steichen in Indianapolis who has proved that he can scheme with the best of them. There are plenty of folks up in Philadelphia who would argue that many of their troubles this year were because of his departure, and the regression of Jalen Hurts was because he was not the OC. So that's in Indianapolis. You move to Tennessee. Now you bring in Brian Callahan, who did not call plays, but is considered one of the young, bright minds from the Sean McVay tree has a lot of other influences in his offensive career, was mm-hmm. a big part of Joe Burrow's progression and development as a quarterback. So now you have him. Bobby Slowick in Houston worked magic with C.J. Stroud. If you lose him, there's still a nice brain trust there. But if they don't lose him, you've got arguably three of the most up-and-coming scheme guys, offensive uh, minds in the league, and they're all in your division. And I, I, I always have to ask the question – if the guy that is the head coach is a play designer, play caller, offensive guy, does the offensive coordinator get too much credit? And just using Callahan as an example, mm-hmm. is it what Zach Taylor's doing versus what he was doing? I'm not sure, but he was the closest to Joe Burrow and, like we said, had success. 
that certainly is a possibility. Uh, and look, I'm not rooting for anything to be successful up in Nashville except for my daughter and my son-in-law. That is it. But they they are reaching for a guy that they feel like, as we said, they didn't want to let him get out of the building, wanted to make sure that once they interviewed him, they liked him and they wanted to, to be able to bring him in. And you also are looking at weakening inside the conference, maybe not inside the division, but inside the conference when you go and snatch a guy like this. Uh, Todd Downing was the guy that I was trying to remember. Yes. Uh, and he got fired after Jacksonville beat uh, Tennessee a season ago when they ultimately won the AFC South and they canned a couple of other assistants along with him. But when they bring a guy like this in and you're hoping that he comes in and, like we said, wraps his arms around Will Levis, Will Levis is not the same type of quarterback that Joe Burrow is. Let's also uh, acknowledge that. Big, big, strong guy, athletic, mm-hmm. can move, has a big arm, but he ain't the same guy mm-hmm. uh, aptitude-wise or uh, uh, the way he plays the game. He's not the same guy, so we'll find out whether he can do that or not. But here is a guy that's going to come in, and going back to what you just said, is it now an opportunity inside the division for somebody to step up with their offensive mind and and, and win this division on a regular basis by outscoring everybody? If Bobby Slowick leaves, what is going to happen down at Houston? How much better or worse will C.J. Stroud get when they change that offensive guy? Because that's real possible. He would go back to a place where he was an assistant if he goes up to Washington uh, under that Shanahan tree, uh, and who is going to replace him. So there's just all this, this not ebb and flow, but just changes that are happening inside the South, and Jacksonville needs to make sure they match everyone else's effort and make the right decision. You said in the pre-show, what if Zach Taylor wants to bring his brother in? Uh, into Cincinnati and, and, and pull press, pry press away from Jacksonville mm. and take him up to Cincinnati. Uh, how many people would uh, not raise their hand for that? Uh, I don't oh, think maybe. too many people would debate you. I know Trent Bulky would. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. But anyway, I doubt that will happen. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there is an opening up there in Cincinnati and Joey Burrow is probably looking around going, what, what are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? All right, I tell you what we're going to do next. We're going to invite one of your mm-hmm. uh, old friends. Yeah, legend. Yeah, one of Leon's one of my legends. draft mates, and a guy yeah. that you know that certainly knows what it felt like back in the day in the early '90s uh, with the Detroit Lions when they did have success back then. So let's go ahead and welcome him on right now. Let's ring up another guest on the All Pro Roofing phone line. Well, we got one of my good friends and draft mates. We came in together in 1992. Uh, he was the 10th pick overall, was number 11 pick overall. Five offensive linemen drafted in the first round that year in 1992. He's an All-American, All-ACC, nine-year NFL vet. Five years, he was a blocking offensive lineman for the great Barry Sanders. Mm-hmm. We got my man Ray Roberts in the house. Ray, how you doing, Ray? What's up, Leon, my man? How you doing? Everything's good with you? I'm trying to hold it down out here in Seattle, man. You oh. know, trying to uh, get get our things turned around out here too, but uh, really enjoying the playoffs and what Detroit is doing. Well, you know, listen, when when I saw Detroit, when they won that game against the Rams and then when they won that game against the Bucks, I had to say, I was thinking about you. I was saying, you know, I wonder how Ray is feeling right now. You was on those Detroit teams back then where you had Barry Sanders. How excited are you being a former line to see this team right now in the NFC Championship game? You know what, the first thing, uh, I was trying my best to, to keep my composure and that, like, you know, I'm this professional dude and I'm just going to not be a, a big fan of it, but just kind of look at it, you know, from my sports analyst perspective. But, dude, I was fan, I was just fanning out all about it. I was screaming in my apartment. People were probably banging on the walls telling me to be quiet and 
all these different things. But, man, I was super excited, not only just for the team and the organization, but for that city, man. That that city is a tough, hardworking, earn-everything city, and this team has uh, taken on uh, that persona and and have done some great things. So I was I was super excited and super happy. And then wishing that uh, that we had that quarterback when we had Barry or that we had that defense when we when I was there. Uh, I think we would have done some great things. Great to talk with you, Ray. Again, an illustrious career with both the Seattle Seahawks, Detroit Lions, former number one or number 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 ten, excuse me, overall pick. And ironically, we were just talking about culture building, Ray. Which you know, in reading your your bio, I know you've done a lot of that. You have a, a master's degree in intercollegiate intercollegiate athletic leadership. So you might be the perfect person for us to talk to when it comes to building a culture. We've we've talked, and it's been so well documented with regards to Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes arriving in Detroit with a blank canvas saying we are going to be a tough-nosed physical football team, and it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to actually build that roster and live it. We also were pairing that up with the Seattle Seahawks, the Legion of Boom, and that group that Pete Carroll was able to build and kind of their mantra that they lived by in those early 2010s teams. I'm curious your take on seeing the development of football teams and maybe other NFL or college football teams that say they're building a culture, but they don't actually bring that identity to pen to paper. Yeah, well, well, first of all, um, you know, I was – they spoke to Brad Holmes and um, uh, uh, the ownership for the Lions and Chris Spellman. Uh, they all brought a bunch of us uh, former Lions together, and they, they wanted to know from us, like, what type of quarter, uh, what type of coach that they, we thought the team needed. And to a man, all of us were saying that we needed someone that was going to reflect – the toughness of the city and it had to be real toughness. It couldn't be just talk about it toughness. And so uh, we had this conversation and then a few weeks later uh, they said that Dan Campbell was a coach. And I'll be honest with you, like the, I, now I get who he is, but at the beginning when he gave the whole talk about bite kneecaps and stuff like it, it just didn't resonate with me as much because it sounded like too much of a press conference winner, you know? And, uh, but, uh, this dude, the the way that you build culture is that it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. And so you can say all these great things about what you want your culture to be and what you think that your culture is and what it should be. But what you end up having is what you consistently do is what your culture will be, regardless of what you say. And the thing that I love about Dan Campbell is that he showed up as this Dan Campbell every single day and then he asked these guys to really trust him if you think about it three years ago they were they started the season 0-10 and 1 and won three games and at the end of that season they they he told them to still believe in him that he had this plan and they would just trust and believe in him and they did and so here you are now and so I think they intentionally uh selected I think it was uh Decker the uh, the, the guard said mm-hmm. that uh, they intentionally selected every single dude on this team because they wanted every single dude on this team to not just talk about the toughness that they have or talk about you know what they uh, what they co- what the culture should be, but people that live the culture. And to me, that's what has uh, changed the culture there in Detroit. And I will say, when I played in Detroit, I can't tell you what our culture was. Uh, our culture was hand the ball to Barry. That's what it was. And uh, you know, Wayne Fonts was our coach. He wasn't as a uh, as a, a tough, hard-nosed type of dude, yeah. uh, it was more easy, kind of going, funny, you know, uh, you know, 
keeping everything kind of a light, light kind of a guy, even in moments when you needed a coach to be tough. You know, he wasn't that type of dude. And so Dan Campbell has brought that, uh, his person to this team, like, and, and not just his words, but who he is as a person has kind of taken over the coach of the team the same way uh, the Legion of Boom did here in Seattle. Like when you have a guy like Richard Sherman in the locker room and you pair him with Cam, uh, Cam Chancellor and mm-hmm. Earl Thomas at the time, uh, Bobby Wagner, you know, came along. Like those dudes are just tough dudes. They don't, you know, Sherm did a lot of talking, but the rest of them did a lot of playing. And uh, and and Sherm, you know, obviously played too. But uh, that's what changes culture is what you do, not what you say. I'm glad you brought up that point about Barry, and thank you for being so transparent with that, Ray. Because I think there's there's a portion of the Jaguars fan base that would believe that. Maybe their identity was, we're just going to let Trevor sling it without really building everything else around Trevor. Yeah, absolutely. And like I, like I said, you have to, when you start talking about this is how we're, we're going to play and this is what we're going to do, you have to bring in players that play and do that. You can't say, like, you know, we're going to be a hard-running, tough football team, and then you play without tight ends and you play five wide receivers and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Like, that's that's more slinging it all over the yard. But if you want to be a tough physical football team, you got to have running backs that run hard. you got to have linemen that are tough. Like, I mean, look at my man Ragnall. This dude had a sprained knee and a sprained yeah. ankle playing against Vita Vea and didn't come out of the game. Like, that's toughness, dude. That's not, a, that's not about what he's talking about. That's about what he's doing. And so when you see a guy that's showing up like that playing his heart out at 80%, then what excuse do you have? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so then you have to match that. And to me, that's what – that's what builds culture. And, and, I, and when I played in Detroit, um, you know, when I came, they wanted to have this uh, – they, they used to run the run and shoot. And then, they, then when I came, they were like, hey, we want to run a more physical-style running game. But we never really did that. You know, we were still – we had Brett Perriman and uh, Herman Moore and Johnny Morton were still throwing the ball a lot. The year that Barry rushed for 2,000 yards, we only had 53 yards rushing in the first two games. Wow. And it was just like, wait a minute. We, got, we, we built this team around running the football. What are we doing? You know, and so, um, so I, I love the way that Dan Campbell and, and, and Holmes have just really been intentional about the guys they bring in. And then those guys have taken it and just said, okay, this is who you want us to be. This is who we are. And they've shown up that way every single game. Yeah, it's something else, and, and I'm calling them my Lions because I'm picking them to go to the bowl. Uh, we're talking with Ray Roberts, uh, a, a guy who blocked big time up front for the great Barry Sanders, and, and you're preaching some football religion, I think, to, to those here in Duval, uh, Ray, because you know there are balky bashers here, the general manager here, and then there are Brad Believers up there in Detroit. And even though they're tough to Dan Campbell's personality, dude, they have got gloss all over that football field. Speed merchants all over that football field that can score. That's the fun football that I think Detroit and so many other fan bases just want to watch and enjoy. Well, they also play football the way Leon and I grew up playing football. Like uh, like these teams that just throw the ball fifty or sixty times a game. That's like playing you know seven on seven or you know basketball on the on the field. But the teams in the playoffs. That uh, that tend to go the furthest are the teams that dominate the line of scrimmage. Oh yeah, and uh, you know guys like myself and Leon and Bob, uh, Big Bob Whitfield that came in with us and Eugene Chung and all those guys. Like that's how that's how we grew up playing football. And if you look at the teams that are that are going the furthest, they've dominated the line of scrimmage. I think every team that won last week uh, won the the yards the yards rushing t- uh, uh, category, except for maybe I think the the Chiefs. 
or the Packers and the 49ers may have been really close. But mm-hmm. for the most part, they dom- they won the line of scrimmage. And when you win the line of scrimmage, you also win the time of possession. If you win the time of possession, that means you have the ball more than they have it. And that means that you get more opportunities to score than they get to, than they do. And so to me, that that is the magic to, uh, to winning in the playoffs. It's not necessarily how many yards you can throw for and how many 100-yard receivers you have and all that stuff, but how, how can you dominate the line of scrimmage? Because at the end of the day, that's what this game is all about, man. At the end of the day, you can pay all of those dudes on the outside. You can pay all those fast and small little quick dudes all the money you want. But if you cannot have some monsters in the middle that are dominating the line of scrimmage, overworked and underappreciated, you're not going to win a whole bunch of games. Right, right, you're absolutely right. And the segue while you're talking about is no surprise with this Final Four that the top ten offensive lines are playing uh, this Sunday in the AFC NFC Championship game because it starts up front. You know, if you're in, if you if you can't run the ball in the playoffs, you're not going to win games. You're absolutely not going to win games. So I'm glad you said that. Hey, now now I want to ask you about one particular guy that's on that Detroit Lions offensive line, which I think is one of the best offensive lines in the league right mm-hmm. now. What do you think about that right tackle, Panesu? You know what? Uh, I got to meet him um, when he was in college. Uh, they the the Pac-12 at the time gave out uh, their award for like the top blocker in the league, the top lineman in the league, and uh, and so he won it. And so I was the guy that kind of went to their event and did the whole presentation and all that kind of stuff. And he was a really quiet dude at the time. And uh, but I could see like um, a lot of people, you know, highlight his athleticism. And sometimes when you talk about a dude being athletic, you you, for, you don't talk about the toughness of a guy. You know, you think he's more of a finesse type of a dude. But this dude has it all, man. He's he's athletic. He's big. He's fast, and he's physical. And uh, and he's a he, he's a tough dude. I love uh, watching him play. Obviously, you know, you and I playing offensive line. Like my attention always goes to that spot, and especially at you know at the tackle spot. You just want to see what guys are doing and how they're doing it. And uh, this dude is a very good football player. He's a foundational type player that uh, that the Lions can keep building around and keep. I mean, he. The thing I, I think teams don't understand sometimes is that they say we're going to build our offense around the quarterback or we're going to build it around the receiver. You have to build it around a quarterback and an offensive lineman. If you look at the 49ers and Trent Williams, Trent Williams is an absolute dog and a weapon in that offense. But when you, when they talk about the weapons, they never talk about him. You know what I'm saying? And Pine is a is a is a weapon in this offense. If you look at the plays they ran last week, I love that play, Leon, mm-hmm. where they where he's pulling and he fakes like he's gonna trap the defensive end and then you pull around him and go to the uh to the second level. Dude, I was at, I was like so close to the screen every time they ran that play. Because <laughs> I was just like, gosh, man, like if if I could have run that play with Barry, it would have been like like heaven on a football field. Because you'd have your Barry behind you and a, a second-level defender trying to figure out where he is, and you get to knock the hell out of somebody. And so uh, I love that they were doing that, and I love the way they used his athleticism. I love the way they they built uh, you know some, the offensive line culture around him. Now, Ray, you get you know you I, you can't. I'd be remiss if I got off this show and you didn't give us a Barry Sanders story. At oh. least one. One. Okay, I tell you what. Give me the story when y'all knew he was gloat close to getting that 2,000 yard. What was the offensive line's mentality knowing that you can make history with him? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, Leon. Like I said earlier, we started the season off and we only, Barry only had 53 yards rushing in two games. And so Tom Moore, who uh, eventually won the Super Bowl with the with Peyton Manning and the Colts, uh, he called us, me, Herman Moore, uh, 
Scott Mitchell, uh, Barry, there's a, a couple other guys. He, he called us into this meeting and said, hey, like, what, you, you know, what, what are we missing on the offense and, you know, in this offensive scheme? And this is exactly what I told him, Leon. I was like, dude, like, I get paid to block. So whatever you call, that's what I'm blocking. But if you want to know my opinion, I would give the ball to number 20 until his shoes fell off. You'd have to have a stack of shoes every game on the sideline for this dude and the largest oxygen machine you can find because I would just give it to him every single time. He's the best player we have. And this is in front of Herman Moore and Brett Perriman and Johnny Morton and all these dudes that we had. But I'm like, this is, this is the future Hall of Famer dude right here. He's the best running back in the league. And then from that point on, we rushed for over 100 yards in 14 straight games, which is a record, I think, that still stands. And we rushed for exactly 2,000 yards in 14 games. And the cool thing about it is that uh, Barry would never uh, say that he was watching you know, the, the, the number to see where we're going. But I know that deep down inside that he was happy for us. I, I told we like about halfway through the season, we're doing this interview uh, in one of the production meetings, and they had us and Barry. And uh, and I said, you know what, Barry kind of keeps it cool and everything. But I know it on the inside of Barry, there's a little Barry in there doing the cabbage patch. You know, like you know, like mm-hmm. he's like, and I'm in my groove. My office, me and my office line, we're in our groove and we're doing our thing. And then it was just, um, it was magic that the last game of the season, we needed the, you know, the the yardage to get to the 2,000 yards, and we needed to win that game to get to the playoffs, and we need to beat the Jets, who was coached by Bill Parcells, who Bobby Ross didn't quite like. Bill Parcells, and so all this stuff that kind of came to a head in that game was pretty awesome. And so, it, you know, Barry, his biggest focus was trying to get to the Super Bowl and win, and I get that, and I think that's part of the reason that he retired because the organization wasn't being intentional the way that they are now to help us get there. Uh, but I know that deep down inside uh, that he was happy for us. He, you know, obviously flew us all to Hawaii for a couple weeks, us and our family and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, it was a magical season, and it was you know it was just great to be part of that to be able to say you know we lifted Barry up, carried him off the field, all that kind of stuff, and so it was just it's awesome to be able to say that uh, that I was on that offensive line and one of the few guys ever in the history of the league to block for a two thousand yeah, yard run. Wasn't just one dude getting it done, that's for sure. Well, listen, Ray, we ran out of time. Before you go, though, as we say goodbye, ten over eleven. You ever bring that up uh, with Big Sirs? <laughs> no, because the the thing that's uh, me and, and Leon and uh, uh, Bob Whitfield, man, we're like really close dudes. And so I would uh, bring up 10 like... over 11. <laughs> well, hey, Ray, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you something that you did. You don't know. All right. All right. Doing at the combine. All right. They had I saw you and Ray. I saw you and Rob, you and Big Bob over there with the tackles. They had me in the guard section. Right. So, you mm-hmm. know, back in the day, you know, you could just do anything. So I left the guard section and went over to the tackle section so I could compete with y'all. I didn't think you knew that, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know that. I just, yeah. I just knew this is the thing I do. I was like, man, this dude from Miami is a mean looking dude. Like, I'm not gonna like say anything to like upset this guy, you know. And uh, and uh, but I just, I just mean we had fun over there. And I think yeah. Larry Tharp was with us too, and so uh, we just had a good time. And I've always respected all the dudes I was drafted with. I follow everybody. I try to keep in touch with people, and uh, because it is, it, it was just, it's one of those experiences that. A once in a lifetime kind of a thing, and it's a fraternity of guys that we do it with. So it's uh, it's you know, awesome to be on your show, dude. Seeing you doing Man. well, doing your thing, your cigar stuff. Like I'm all over you, dude. Like I, I know everything you do. I appreciate you, bro. Man, thanks for coming on the show. Man, we gotta do this again. And, yes, sir. And it's by the way, I'm I'm rooting for the Ravens and the Lions in the Super Bowl. By the way, 
I'm, I'm right there with you, brother. And then I'm going to be conflicted when they get there because I'm a Lamar Jackson fan, and obviously I play for Detroit. So, uh, But, yeah, you have my number, dude. Anytime, just text me if you want me to come on. Uh, whatever you want to talk, Seahawks, Lions, college, whatever it is. Uh, I'm your guy. Since you brought it up, Ray, real quick, give us kind of the temperature of the room in Seattle right now with Pete, you know, retire slash assistant, but also, I mean, UW, some huge, you know, a huge rise to the (laughs) national title game. And now they don't, you know, they don't have their head coach who led them there. Yeah. Well, as it relates to the Seahawks, you know, they're, they're turning over every stone, which is, which is, I think a lot of the fans here appreciate. Uh, It's easy to kind of go, Hey, let's go find the, the next, you know, um, Pete Carroll disciple, someone that's been here and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but they're looking at everybody. And the thing that that's interesting is, is that they were saying that their number one thing that they're looking for is a culture builder, not necessarily the hottest offensive uh, 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 coordinator, the hottest defensive coordinator, but someone that can build culture because that's what made the magic happen here. When Pete came is that he built a culture that the dudes bought into. And then from there, they went and won football games. And so it's going to be interesting to see, like, who they come. I like the guy, the offensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, from uh, from Detroit. From Detroit, I just found out the other day he went to my rival high school. He's obviously younger than I am. But uh, but that'd be kind of cool to have someone from Western North Carolina out here in the Pacific Northwest calling plays and leading the team. And then as it relates to UW, man, I, feel, I, I was devastated because this uh, – the board just seemed like a dude that was going to be here forever, that was going to be the next um, – uh, Don James or Chris Peterson that's that's been here and legends are here and uh, and then he jumped ship man on some dudes that had really bought into him a city that had bought into him a university that had bought into him but you know that, that's the business nowadays and uh, it seems like uh, the new coach from Arizona that some of the guys are buying into they had a big team meeting the other day and from what I understand uh, during his talk there was like two or three standing ovations and dudes are starting to try to talk other guys that were in the portal to come back uh, to the university so they can kind of keep their team together. And they're, and then in the transfer portal, they're getting some of the good players from Arizona. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I think they, they're going to be in a good spot because they, they have a good player. They have a good foundation there. Uh, they're going to a new league and all that kind of stuff. But it was important uh, that uh, Fitch, this new coach, came in and sold himself to the teams, to the players that are there, so he could stop the exodus that was happening. Appreciate it, big bro. Yes, sir. We're going to have you on again. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, big Ray. Yeah, you guys have a good one, man. All right. Awesome. That's, that's awesome. Ray Roberts, uh, and, and he talks about the culture up there with Dan Campbell, and he, he said even as a former player he wasn't necessarily a believer. We'll touch on that coming up. And what he said about what Barry did uh, in that 2,000-yard season, it is worth bringing up as well. It's XL Primetime. Grilling Up Lunch with Leon and the Sausage Dudes. Sausage with a purpose on 1010XL. One o'clock hours here at XL Primetime. Thanks to Beaver Chevy, Beaver Toyota. You can count on both sets of, well, Beaver folks on the lot in St. Augustine at Beaver Toyota or the lot for Beaver Chevy right there on Phillips Highway from basically you can call it soup to nuts. From the time you walk up to the time you walk off or drive off in a brand new ride, they are going to take care of you. They are there to wow you. So make sure you check it out. SUVs, pickups, beautiful sedans, economy, whatever you might be looking for, new or pre-owned, Beaver Chevy and Beaver Toyota. Listen, I'm looking at these numbers and Ray Roberts, who is one of Leon's old line mates, one of Leon's legends, and you got him to tell the Barry Sanders story. And I'm looking at these numbers, and he ran for over 2,000 yards in 16 games. 
games, all right? Mm. And we know how hard it is to do that, and we've now just gone to 17 games for only a, a couple of years in on this. But 16-game schedule, he carried it 335 times per carry average, 6.1. 6.1. And here's what mm. blows my mind. In the first two games, he had 53 yards. That's so, Crazy. If he ran for 2,053 yards in the season, that means he ran for 14 games to get to 2,000 yards. Mm -hmm. And you know what that adds up to, Leon? It really is incredible, the number. If you took a 14-game schedule, which is what he ran for 2,000 yards in, it would be 142.8 yards per game. And you take a look at the numbers, the ones that he just clicked off, uh, what – what a running back! Now, now here's the thing: it's, this might be a, a a little trivia for you. Oh. Is he one of the only running backs mm -hmm. to have rushed for two thousand in college and two thousand in the pros? Derrick Henry rushed for two thousand in college. He, he obviously did it in the pros. Yeah, but not Derrick, in college. Derrick Henry. Yeah. He no. rushed for two thousand Alabama. No, no that's why no. I said I don't. Oh know no, if no, he did. no, no! Yeah. I don't think he did. Uh, I know he rushed. For, he took rushed for two thousand with the Titans. Didn't yeah, he? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that yeah, he definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I, I would be interested. I don't know the answer to it. Okay, I love so it. So I'm well, just well, guessing. I'm just saying. Is there what other running backs, if any, have rushed for two thousand yards in college and two thousand yards in the pros? Yeah, because Will. Because I know Barry did it at uh, Oklahoma State. Yeah, I know he rushed for two thousand yards at Oklahoma State, and he. 2000 with the Lions. All right. Well, we'll definitely have. Well, I got to look at that. I got to jump in okay. on that because okay. honestly, when you think about it, it's just uh, an incredible number. And look, I'm an Emmett Smith man. I went to school with Emmett. Mm -hmm. So I'm always going to lean in on Emmett and say he's the best running back. He's got the most yards. But he ran behind this great line. And just from a, an electrifying highlight reel point mm -hmm. of view, Barry Sanders has has no, no peers. Derrick Henry did. Uh, did. Derrick, over 2000. 2015. Right. In college. I do not remember that. I don't either, but that's good. So Derrick Henry did it. Huh? Marcus Allen did it. Uh, I don't know if he did in the NFL. Tony Dorsett did it in college. Yeah, I don't remember those guys going over 2,000 yards Williams. in the NFL. Who else? Ricky Williams did in the NFL yeah. or in college. Yeah. Larry, Johnson, uh, Larry Johnson. I did not remember Derrick Henry doing it. Ladanius? That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a nice little list. Yeah, that that's pretty good. Now, NFL mm -hmm. history – you're going for 2,000 yards, and you, you also have select company as far as those that have been able to do it. OJ, first guy to do it. It Eric looks Dickerson. like it is just Derrick Henry. And, yeah. and, uh, and I never, ever Barry would put Sanders. Derrick in that pile. So, yeah, Eric Dickerson, Barry Sanders, Terrell Davis, Jamal mm -hmm. Lewis. Mm -hmm. uh, you have CJ2K, his nickname, Chris Johnson. And AP. And then AP. And AP did it after coming back from a significant knee injury, which is just yeah, really – Orenthal, you forgot Orenthal, of course. Yeah. Oh, no, I said it. I, I, saw, I let off with yeah, OJ. OJ. Yeah. Yeah, and so he we was We will the first. not be the NCAA. We yeah. will not scratch Orenthal from yeah. the record books. Yeah, yeah he was the first uh, to do it. But uh, the, the, the guys that were able to do it, everything was built around them. Mm -hmm. uh, and Derrick Henry being the most recent ex example of that. But AP still had some good players around him, but they were going to run uh, through number 28. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, incredible. All right, let's hit a, a quick that real fast. That just happened. Brought to you by Florida Home AC, the official air conditioning partner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So I told uh, you Nooners earlier that the betting odds have been pulled off the board in some of these betting uh, – sites that you can go to, my bookie and whatnot, um, that have the L.A. Chargers 
and their favorite to be their head coach, mm. Jim Harbaugh, and the Atlanta Falcons, and their favorite to be their head coach, Bill Belichick. We're talking minus 500, minus 700, okay? They have been pulled off the board. So here, this is from Aaron Wilson. How might a potential Jim Harbaugh uh, coaching staff look for the job with the Chargers if he accepts it? Per league source, offensive coordinator could be Greg Roman, who has interviewed for a couple of other jobs. Greg Roman is the OC, defensive coordinator Jesse Mentor, who he would bring from Michigan, and special teams coordinator Jay Harbaugh, Jimmy's son, who he would bring over. And Interesting. And according to Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports, Jim Harbaugh is back in L.A. today, and he has been the leading candidate. Should he make the jump, he would expect him to bring Jesse Mentor along with him. Mm-hmm. So a second-round interview in L.A. for Harbaugh. We saw a second-round interview yesterday for Brian Callahan in Nashville end with a job offer and a job acceptance. Yeah. Um, will we see that and at some point in the next few hours? I have to go back and look. Was Roman on the Harbaugh staff in San Francisco? No, he I, was with. Uh, well, he was with his he brother. He was with his brother in yeah. Baltimore. That I know. But I, I'm trying to remember. I feel like he might have been out in San Francisco as part of that staff whenever they were. He getting, was indeed Josie yeah, okay, Yahtzee. Yeah. Well yeah. done. He was the OC from 2011 to 2014. Although, yes, 2014 mm-hmm. is when Jim left, and then so he left. He left in 2014 when Jim left. Yeah. After the Super Bowl year, and then he became the OC for the Bills for two years before heading to Baltimore. I got you. Yeah, so there's obviously history there, and so that would make a heck of a lot of sense uh, as far as that is concerned. All right, so you know you're ha- you're having some movement. Uh, you knew that both of those guys were in play in Atlanta. We mentioned a couple of the other ones that that are out there, but it does seem like Belly is going to have a chance, and they're picking. What did you say, seventh or eighth overall? That doesn't mean that they can't make a move to move up. I think we should bring up Mel Kuyper's draft class coming up here in just a second and at least see what the possibilities mm-hmm. are. Again, these mocks are ever-changing, uh, that's for sure, but it's one worth looking at and where Atlanta might fall uh, if they're going to have Bill Belichick as their head coach. Uh, JJ, you've got giveaways right here on XFI. I do have a giveaway. If you are caller number four right now at 641-1010, Shen Yoon's shows are coming January 30th and the 31st to Jacksonville Center for Performing Arts Shen Yun revives the thousand years of civilization through choreographed dance, music combining classical, Western, and Chinese instruments, and dynamic 3D backdrops. ShenYun.com for tickets or be car number four right now at 641-1010. XL Primetime, brought to you by Florida Home AC. Now that's cool on 1010XL. 21 minutes past the 1 o'clock hour on a Tuesday edition of XL Primetime. Thanks for hanging out with us wherever you may be. Our thanks to Ray Roberts for hanging with us in the 12 o'clock hour. And our thanks to you, our YouTube X and Facebook Nooners, for hanging in with us. We are now up and running on all of those platforms if you are so interested in watching the three of us minus Matt Hayes on this fine Tuesday. A little bit of sad news before we kick it on over to NFL Draft Talk as well as Comp Picks because we do have news on Comp Picks. Mm. Yes, for the first time in 13 years, the Jacksonville Jaguars in line for compensatory selections in the NFL Draft. We will get to that, but first, we must pay tribute. The University of Georgia announced this morning that Ugga X, fondly known as Q, passed away peacefully in his sleep this morning. Born May 27, 2013, 
He formally began his tenure in a collaring ceremony at the Georgia-Georgia Southern game. Q retired following the 2022 season after becoming the most decorated of all the Uggas. He compiled a football record of 91-18, and presided over two SEC titles, the 2021 and 2022 national titles, and seven New Year's Six Bowl appearances. Is this the end of Kirby's run? Well, That's was what it all saying. Uga? It was all Q the whole time. Yeah, it, I'm not sure how it's Q and X and all that. But... <laughs> well, I'm assuming that it means the tenth Uga yeah, is the yeah, X. Yeah. I don't know where the Q came yeah, from. Yeah, I don't know why he's called Q <laughs> yeah. or Quay. But we're on or, to Uga eleven. Uga eleven. Yeah, and and I uh... ninety one and eighteen is pretty darn impressive. It is. Oh, that's that's more than a damn. I mean, good they dog. went thirty years without winning a national title. So and you know what it was for it two. Was, it was in game adjustments for Uga ten, and and he well. said. You know, I'm gonna. I, I'm not gonna go back in the box. I'm gonna stay out there and I'm gonna hunker down. Was well, he the one that attacked the Auburn player? No, no. There's been several one. since okay. then. Mm, yeah. Well, listen. Uh, you know, you never get over a dog's passing. All right. Listen, when I was little, when I was eight years old, my dog Comet died. Comet. I never forget Comet. So, well, what kind of dog? I don't know. What kind of <laughs> you dog don't even I, know. What kind of- it doesn't matter what kind of dog he was. It was my dog. He passed away. Yeah, let me tell you something. You're going we into had, semantics here. It doesn't matter what kind of dog. We had nothing he but was mutts. Mutt. He was a mutt. Yeah. How about that? He was we a mutt. had nothing but mutts. And, and Paco, I'm right there with you. I can remember the first one. But we still have, as, as like, it was so tough to say goodbye to Frankie. And mm. we still have a little set of, like, uh, whatever, a vase with flowers out in the backyard, just waiting for the grass to Did grow up. Did you do up. the paw print one? Uh, we like where you get a little box with oh, like yeah. oh, his yeah. little and, paw prints, and they 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 we did, did such a you. nice service uh, at the veterinary's office, and mm. it was three generations of of Frankie lovers that were all there uh, to to witness it, and then pops brought some some of uh, Frankie's favorite treats and tossed them in when you know when we Aww. laid him down, and, yeah, and we made nice. sure uh, Michael in the middle, who was a big time dog lover, he's like he. Keep digging, Dad, because he's gonna he's gonna be undisturbed. Okay, mm. I, don't I care. hope I get a send off half as good as that. Yeah, exactly. And Dude, so we probably won't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So his flowers are, you know, we've replaced them once. They're still cranking back there. But I, I know. Listen, I once stood in the elevator uh, with Uga uh, wearing. This is Halloween uh, night. Now this Uga. Yeah, not, uh, this Uga. Okay. Yeah, this Uga. And Halloween night. And because it always falls around Halloween, you're right. either going to have it mm-hmm. somewhere between October 28th and November. Did he have 1st. like bodyguards? Well, he he had a handlers. <laughs> he had a Superman cape on. Oh, because he was and dressed I up. To, I have to go back and look and see if I can find it. But um, <laughs> anyway, we rode the uh, Renaissance elevator up, and and uh, it was just a happy lad. Well, well, JJ, you you just you mentioned that you hope you get uh, a send off yeah. like that. Listen, I, was, I don't know why I was going through these statistics, but they said that people that in funerals, when they pass away, yeah. they said that 70% of the people won't go to the gravesite if it rains. Oh. They're just like, I, I got I, stuff to I, do. I, so, I did my so just think about, I look at my think shoes. About that. I wore brand new JJ, shoes. JJ, these think slacks, about that. They can't get wet. All these so-called people in the church that are <laughs> they mourning care you, so much about care so you. much about you, they won't go to your gravesite if it's rain. I've been to multiple gravesites in the rain. Yeah. I have too. And in the cold rain as well. You know what it is? And uh, I was told it was told to me a long time ago, tears from heaven. Okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it's it's not a bad setting at all. Tears from heaven. But I was Listen. looking at my watch. Yeah. You don't come oh, to my yeah. you don't <laughs> Even come to my gra- my great aunt. Yeah. I tell you uh, what, you Eloise. don't come to my gravesite, guess what? 
I'll come knock on your door later. <laughs> oh, haunt yeah. your dreams. Yeah, exactly. the, the ghost of SARS. That's right. That would be uh, that would be scary. That's for sure. Uh, the old joke was: remember Kmart's way back when? Uh, of course. The the pre Walmart. Uh, they're you know they're dust to dust right now. Uh, but my grandmother at the San, San Lorenzo Cemetery, when they purchased the plot, there were two areas that that the Potts family could go in. And she made sure that she let it be known she wants to be buried as close to Kmart as possible. Wow, <laughs> I love that. She wanted to get, she was just going to keep awesome. shopping. And she, she gonna... thought Kmart would still be yep, in existence exactly. now. Get all those Now deals. Kmart's in the sky with Food Lion. <laughs> exactly. And, and <laughs> with so her. many others. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And like, with her. You know, it's so funny because JJ couldn't fully appreciate, or Mia for that matter, the, the death of, of SI because Sports Illustrated lived a life from 1954. Yeah. To 2024, and there are many people that have many memories of SI. I used to get it. Well, yeah, I, I used to always get Sports Illustrated. I, I just don't like how they treated the University of Miami. Yeah. Oh, okay, uh, I got you. So you got you got the the Miami yeah. hate. That's fine. Well, I mean, um, we, it, it was a, that was the Miami hate, but it was also Miami love too. Now it was yeah. something rarely, not dude. No, it took us to win like rarely. a national title for them to put us on. Yeah, the I do true. love how everyone's got yeah. their own jaded opinion about <laughs> coverage of their school. Well, you know listen, how dumb I was with Sports Illustrated was like I would. Like I remember the the cover with LeBron as a junior, mm-hmm. and I was like, "This is gonna be worth something one day. This kid's gonna be awesome." So I would like cut out oh. the covers like a dumbass mm-hmm. instead of like keeping mm-hmm. the actual Keep the magazine. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I still have some old ones, but yeah, I you can I definitely did. remember some big time yeah. titles. I, I, well, I remember when I was in college and I played at Miami. When I started playing at the Miami mm-hmm. Starter, I would look at SI to see if my name was in there. Of course oh, it wasn't. Yeah. You know, That's what like, Steve Griffin like, said like, to me. Like, Steve Griffin said, faces in the crowd. Like, we talk so much about, you know, the, the whatever the cover story was, yeah. a lot of life of Riley. But faces yep. in the crowd was, like, I know for me personally, like, mm-hmm. you would go and you'd see, is anybody, like, from around your neighborhood, mm-hmm. around your town, like, it, it, actually it really getting cool. a shout-out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So, just on that note, let's at least uh, from um, from the Atlantic to the Pacific, oh, let's do a little perfecto right now. We are going back in time. Sports Illustrated. Thank you. It's been around for a long time, and uh, I don't know whether E's listening right now, but this is courtesy of E, so I figured since we are talking about history, we might as well throw it out there. Uh, And this will be a dinger type of question. Don't forget Pacifico. You can get a cold one if you're enjoying one of those beautiful Mexican lagers. Remember, found in Baja, imported by surfers for those who live life anchors up. NBA players to score 70 plus points Joel so and we will be able to just ding mm. off a bunch of these but he said throw this question out there today well obviously we have will all right uh devin booker kobe bryant michael jordan i don't know no, michael I don't jordan did. did do that nope. michael never hit 70 nope wow he topped out like 66 maybe okay all right so right now we have got uh, Kobe, Will, yeah, last three. night, did we say last night? I said Joel, yeah, I said Joel. Okay, four. I, I'm sorry, I didn't catch you. Um, but yes, <clears throat> so right now you got Wilt, Kobe, Devin, Embiid. And mm. how many are there? You're going to have to go old school and more recent, um, but you're looking at nine. Did Luca do it? No. no. Nope. And I'm going about, straight off of the E.T. What about George Gervin? Did he say Kobe? Yeah, we said Kobe. Not nope. the Iceman? Okay. But if you school. want to talk about going back in time, there's a guy that's kind of in that, you know, that mm. that era. Um, mm. One guy that you probably will have a very difficult time getting, but the other ones are, are definitely uh, two are playing right now. Mm. 
Like as we speak? Hmm? Oh, I thought, like I thought there was a game in action right <laughs> no, now. No, no, no. Two I was like, I didn't right know now. we had afternoon hoops. Like you've already named Booker and Embiid. There are two others that uh, are playing right Steph, now. Steph, Clay, Kevin nope. Durant. Dame. Dame. Dame, yeah. Dame Lillard. All right, and then another one playing right now. Uh, is it Donovan Mitchell? There you go. Yeah. That's another one. Mm. All right, so now we are down to two, and I don't think you'll get either one. One's a much bigger name than the other one. Old school? Old school. Oscar Robinson? No. no. But Magic? You're, you're right around that time. Like Kareem, you're back in more, maybe? Uh, Leon's. Did Kareem uh, ever Pete, do it? Peep Amerovich. Nope, not no, Pistol. Not, not Pistol. Mm. All right, I'll give you the last two. Okay. Elgin Baylor. Ah, a great, okay. great Baylor, player. Yes. And I don't believe they won a title when he was there. But anyway, a great player. And then David Thompson oh, okay. is, is probably one of the more, like, you expected so much coming mm. out of his college days into the NBA days. But he did have a heyday that one time, 70-plus points. So there you go uh, from the uh, Perfecto Pacifico question, thanks to E. Let's get to draft talk coming up. But first, uh, just a little update. We already hit of that, so I'll just enhance it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mike Garofolo reporting that the deal between Jim Harbaugh and the Los Angeles Chargers is now in striking distance mm -hmm. of being completed. So, so let's pair that up with – Mike Florio now reporting that Pete Carroll is making a push for the Chargers job, and Mike Vrabel is also considered to still be in the mix. I wonder if they're just trying to say, hey, Jimmy, you're not getting that $14, 15000000 million <laughs> that you're asking for. We've got others that we actually can't hire. Uh, ever heard of them? Uh, and so that is interesting. So, yeah, just kind of keep, keep, keep that negotiation churn going a little bit. All right, we got Coach Campo coming up at the 2 o'clock hour. We mentioned – Mel's mock draft. So let's get back to that and, and where, if these guys are uh, taking over as head coach, who they might be looking at and where they're at in the draft. Grilling up lunch with Leon and the Sausage Dudes. Sausage with a purpose on 1010XL. We got purpose before Big Surce heads out the door and Coach Campo comes rolling in. We've been talking the NFL offseason and all that's going on with the coaching carousel. We'll keep an eye on that. Let's talk a little mock draft as well. Joe C., Mia O'Brien, missing Maddie Hayes today, down and out, but back manana, hopefully. Big Serson, JJ. All right, let's get to the Mel Kuyper mock. Oh, well, first, do we want to address the comp picks? Mm -hmm. Let's mm -hmm. do that because sure. I think that that may factor into what many of you nooners out there driving around Duval County may be thinking, hey, where do we play? Where do we have some flexibility knowing that that Calvin Ridley trade with the Atlanta Falcons has a pick that is kind of tied up in multiple arenas? So, according to Over the Cap, final projections for compensatory picks, which the Jaguars have not had a selection in that late third round, early fourth round compensatory window since 2010. First compensatory pick, a.k.a. in compensation for the highest free agent signing last year, is awarded to your Jacksonville Jaguars for Jawan Taylor leaving and signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. So yeah, when, that's a third. Yeah, yeah, and and it was expected that since he was moved to such a big deal that it would be in the highest you can get is a compensatory third. And so yeah, that makes sense. Where does it fall? 
it the first one. Yeah. It's so the first one of that third round in between the third and the fourth yeah. window. Yeah. So that's huge. Yeah. Oh yeah. Take take full advantage because of that. Because now that opens up the opportunity and that's why when we get to it's Mel at Kuyper's the bottom draft, of the third round, but it's the first in the third round. Correct. Yeah. Yes. And so that's where when we get to Mel Kuyper's draft, when we look at so many more mock drafts over the next <clears> month, two months plus, um, this is where it gets interesting because if you don't sign Calvin Ridley before the league year begins in March, then that pick becomes a third that you would have to give up to the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? You're technically going to get a third, yeah. although it'll be at the end of the third round as a compensatory pick for Jawan Taylor. Uh, dumb question. I don't know the answer. Are you allowed to give up the compensatory over the other third? Uh, no, I, it I, has to be your own pick. Yeah, I That's a great question, so. but yeah, yes. I would think so. So you would still be – middle of the third round that you'd have to surrender, but at the same time, you still would have a selection. So, so that's a positive. A third rounder for Juwan Taylor, and then a sixth round compensatory pick for one Arden Key. So that's another pick now in the sixth round the Jaguars have acquired. He's still building here. He's just a gift that keeps on giving. He's someone, still building. Someone on the text line and someone tweeted at me, and they were like, I can't believe it was only a sixth. The man built the city. Yeah, um, Come on. You're it's not wrong. More. Unfortunately, because there are only 32 compensatory picks awarded each year, the Jaguars will not be awarded compensatory picks for Chris Manhurts or Marvin Jones. Um, kind of a weird situation because, like, Noah Brown, I thought, was so highly productive for the Texans. Mm-hmm. But because he was in that same category as Manhurts and Jones, I guess based on the value of the signing, the Texans aren't getting a comp pick for him, which was kind of interesting. Yeah, and it may it may have to do, I guess, with the dollar figure. And like you said, there's only so many of them that are going to be given away. I'm a little more surprised that Marvin Jones – because even though he was only here for a couple of years, Arden was only here for a short amount of time, uh, which is interesting that they do get that one uh, versus the Marvin Jones one. All right, so the mocks, and it's this is the one that's going to change all the time. But Mel Kuyper is one of the guys that we pay attention to when he kicks out uh, another version of his mock, and he is now starting on round one projections as far as what he thinks is going to happen. Quarterbacks are going to be littered throughout the – the first handful of selections, he has Caleb Williams uh, going to the Chicago Bears. That's not going to be a surprise. The Chicago Bears will now have to make a decision on what they're going to do if they do take him and they move in fields and how will they go about that. Nothing more on Cliff Kingsbury interviewing for the OC job, but he did that, I believe, on Friday. Well, I thought they hired someone else. They yeah, did. They hired right. Shane Waldron out of Seattle. That's right. That's right. I take that back. Nothing new. Yeah, Shane Waldron was the guy who they tabbed. And so when they brought him in, how uh, I don't know whether he underwhelmed them or just didn't do anything to wow them uh, to make the decision on at least continuing that search, uh, including him. But Waldron, yeah, has been brought in uh, to coach up the offense for the Chicago Bears. Jaden Daniels is number two. Now, Daniels, I think, is just such a wild card. He's going to move up and down this draft board, I believe. Now, Heisman Trophy winner, he's got hardware. So, Leon, that's an easy thing to understand that he's going to move up based on his skill set and what he does. But I am a little surprised that, uh, again, this is very early, but they already have him mocked that up. That he jumped over Drake May. Drake oh, May. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, he's got the credentials. I mean, he's got the yardage. He's got the rushing. He's got the Heisman. I think the combine, I think he's going to wild him in the combine with his arm strength. I mean, he, he looks – I've seen him. He looks so skinny. I, I know, but you, you want to know who I'll compare him to real who? quick? Who's that? Jordan Love. 
Jordan Love. Jordan is, Love, you're right. But does I mean, not they, look that put together thick that, or anything. That, that's true. That's true. They, they they got about the same frame. Yeah. He's probably about what what four or five inches taller than yeah. him. Maybe. Well, Jaden Daniels what six four six. Five, I would put him both maybe something like that. Yeah. Jordan six, six three six four. I'd yeah. say six three six yeah. three. Daniels. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I'd put him right about the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen. I knew when he won the Heisman. I mean, he's going to be sought after. He's going to be highly sought after after winning the Heisman Trophy. Went rightfully so. Now it's just about a matter. And this is you know I you know how I hate the combine. But when you go to the combine, what do you call it? Combine eyes. Combine. He's gonna run. He's gonna run. He probably rubs. He's gonna probably run a four, five, four, six. Probably. In the forty, and then um, he's. I think what he, I mean, he's got one of the best deep balls in college football, man. I mean, come on now. And his skill set matches one hundred percent with the National Football League. Absolutely. Today. I think it also comes down to who is the who is the head coach in Washington. We still don't really mm-hmm. know. We know Adam Peters hired as the GM, but as far as is it Bobby Slowick? Is it Ben Johnson? Is it one of these offensive guys? That I think could also be a factor, oh, yeah, and that's where that's a huge so. unknown but, because you know we'll get to the Jaguar selection from Mel Kiper, and I think that that was heavily influenced by who they hired as their defensive coordinator. Yeah, so you're just talking about the idea of you know what does the best fit offensively with the guy that's going to be calling the plays, and you always have to ask this question: Do you want the guy calling the plays tell you who uh, basically mm-hmm. paint the picture for who you should pick, or do you want the player paint the picture for who you should have calling plays? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you got to also look at the fact that if they got Jaden Daniels number two, I mean, what teams behind them may fall in love with them and be be willing to give up True. capital to go well, get them? I'm looking at the Giants, right? The Giants are what number four? The Giants are number four, or where are they right now in the draft? Uh, the Cardinals the draft are four, and they Car- have Marvin Cardinals Harrison. Then the Brock Bowers to the Chargers. The Chargers. Fifth. Giants yeah. are six. Six, yeah. They, they, in order to go from six to two, because I'm being—I don't think if they are they sold with da, uh, Daniel uh, Tom at least for one Daniel more year, Jones. Daniel Jones. One more, one one more, more year. year. Yeah. One By more the year. way, okay. they have Malik Neighbors sixth. Look, that guy's a really good. I consider him a possession LSU type wide yeah. receiver. Yeah, I would not be selecting him uh, mm-hmm. among the top six picks. Uh, real quick, and then we'll get to the Jags. The Atlanta Falcons uh, picking eighth. Dallas Turner, outside linebacker. Yeah. You know he had a kind of he had kind of a down season when you think compared to what he was like a year ago, the year before when yeah, he, he wasn't was, draft eligible. He was a terror. Yeah, he was. And Will Anderson. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, you had Anderson on the other side. Yeah, yeah, Will Anderson. Remember, Dallas Turner's the same guy who dirty knocked out Jaden Daniels in that game. Mm. <laughs> That so, would well, be, well, yeah. well, he chin-checked him. Yeah, yeah, he, he, gave him he did that to a few guys this yeah, year. Yeah, exactly, yeah. that part. Uh, all right, so uh, just scanning down real quick. So you've got the Jacksonville Jaguars. They're going to be picking in the middle of the pack. You're going to see some players come off the board, all sorts of different positions, including Brian Thomas, who if I am talking about the most dynamic receiver mm-hmm. LSU has, that yeah. cat right there is mm-hmm. the most dynamic coming out of well, well, Baton Rouge. They, well, we have to ask Mia. They, they've got the Jaguars taking the cornerback for Iowa. They do. Well, I, give me give me something on him. Number 17 overall, Mel mm-hmm. Kuyper has mm-hmm. them selecting Cooper DeGene. So Cooper DeGene is, is a fascinating case study in recruitment because he went to a super small school in Iowa, rural Iowa, played every mm-hmm. position. But he still got considerable, you know, recruitment buzz just because he was a freak athlete, multi-state champion in various running events on the track and field, played quarterback in the state championship game in a wildcat offense on the mm-hmm. football gridiron, mm-hmm. can dunk a basketball too. You look at him and maybe, you know, I mean, let's address the elephant in the room. He is a white cornerback. Um, you, you look at him and maybe he's not as, like, physically long- length 
which mm-hmm. I know obviously Trent Bulky values. It's not like he's super tall. It's not like he's bulked up or anything. Because you, you imagine a wide receiver's catch radius, the cornerback needs to match that as mm-hmm. much as possible. But he's a football player. Like that's the the biggest takeaway I have heard from so many people, both in his recruitment out of high school and his play at Iowa, is he's a football player. He's a junkie. He like somebody asked him what his hobbies were, and he literally said watching tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wasn't like trying to be cute and give you the right yeah. answer. Like that's literally his hobbies. I, I think the most interesting thing for me to watch him is probably the film that I will. How did he fare against Ohio State and Michigan? He was their wide receiver. He was, that, would, that would be yeah. That would be the telltale. Yeah, a good. Be quite, yeah, yeah, good. Good. You it's know, good, good receiving. Good. good on good. See how yeah. you count. I, I don't think, think they played Ohio State. This they didn't play Ohio State this last year. year. They did last year. So we can look that up. They mm-hmm. played Michigan, of course, twice this year. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, some, uh, definitely, obviously, in the championship game. Um, yeah, so only once this year against Michigan. We'll look that up. He played them multiple times in okay. his career, so we'll look that up. I think the the big question with DeGene and maybe where he fits into the Jags and Mel Kuyper illustrates this is he has been a perimeter corner, and he plays man. Mm-hmm. He can play pretty much everything. But there's this knock on him of, well, is he going to really end up playing safety down the line? But also he's so good in press man that maybe you slide him inside to nickel. Does that give you versatility? Because Trey Herndon's not under contract as of right now, and mm-hmm. you're banking on Christian Braswell or Gregory Jr. So I think that that's what's going to be so fascinating to see with Cooper DeGene. And, of course, I buried the lead. Um, Big Ten's return man of the year twice, and well, an All-American mm-hmm. and uh, Jim Thorpe Award finalist. So. And if you, yeah. if you say goodbye to other guys, and that would throw Jamal Agnew into the Correct. conversation, who was – when healthy, pretty sturdy in special teams play, mm-hmm. but he's not been healthy enough. And yeah. and so you can now maybe tab, you know, check two boxes, but let's not forget the other balky factor is that uh, this young man broke his leg uh, in November. Oh, so he's he a had sure the injury. In, so that's also appealing to Trent Balky. Uh, <laughs> but, but real quick, the other part of what Mel Kuyper says, and again, this is just one guy throwing it out there very early as far as what he thinks will happen he said Ridley, referring to Calvin Ridley, Ridley is probably more likely to leave, but I just projected five receivers in the top 15 picks, which means Jacksonville might not like the pass catchers left on the board. So at least he throws that up there, but he also, the caveat that he thinks Ridley would be on the way out there. And I don't think, and I'm double-checking this now, he has two other wide receivers going later in the first round. In yeah, because or- Thomas is the one guy that I love who went just a couple picks in front. Yep, he has uh, A.D. Mitchell out of Texas, of course, formerly of the University of Georgia, going at 28 to the Buffalo Bills, and Troy, Flank- Troy Franklin out of Oregon, 29th to the Kansas City Where does he have Keon Coleman going? 15. He has him going to the Colts. 15th to the Colts. Okay, Colts. that gives uh, AR slash G mm. another target yeah. uh, to get the football to, and and uh, that's a cat that also represents some special teams game. Mm-hmm. Even though size-wise you wouldn't expect a 6'4 dude to be able to do that, he can return some punts now. Yeah. I had so many moments during this Florida State season where I was like, why? Why do you have He's Keon good. Coleman? He's good. Yeah. I'm like, but you're risking injury. On the other side of that, I never felt that way with mm-hmm. Cooper DeGene, um, mm-hmm. which is interesting. But I, I think that it's just because like he came into Iowa like expected to be like a second or third string corner like his first year mm-hmm. and then like immediately made an impact his true freshman season and so then you were like okay never mind like he has to play both both ways as well, a return man and as a corner and so I I don't know like maybe it's the wide receiver versus a corner as a returner they're just so me. dynamic and if yeah. they can uh, move with arguably the football. though was the best was the best college return man yeah. the last two years now of course there's those of you driving around saying I'm not gonna select a returner at 17, 
He obviously is a very good corner as well, and yeah. he gives you flexibility in the secondary. Yeah, it's the added dimension, and you got to make a decision on Darius Williams price-wise, what you're going to do. Does this guy go inside if you draft him, all that type of stuff. So we'll definitely be drilling down <laughs> also, on that Also, Agnew's one. not coming back. Right. And, and, right. and by the way, he you was got an a expensive. return man right there. Yeah. Uh, that does. It checks more than one box. And mm. so he Value. was expensive last year. Uh, Jared Verse, uh, for what it's worth, uh, you Knowles fans, 19th to the L.A. Rams. First time, long time. <laughs> Uh, for the L.A. Rams being able to select in the first round. And if they go and add Jared Verse to already Byron Young and Kobe Turner, two guys that they immediately inserted into that defensive line, two rookie defensive linemen, Leon, kicking butt this year uh, for the L.A. Rams, the first roundless L.A. Rams up until this point. Some other players that were on the board when Mel Kuyper selected Cooper DeGene for the Jaguars, J.C. Latham, the tackle out of Alabama, the aforementioned Jared Verse, Kamari Lasseter of the Georgia Bulldogs. Who is the next cornerback off the board mm -hmm. after Jacksonville. Troy Fatanu, tackles slash guard out of Washington. I'm going to butcher this one all of draft season. Tylese Fuaga, the tackle out of Oregon State. Jerzon Newton, the defensive tackle out of Illinois. Uh, we mentioned those two wide receivers. Chop Robinson out of Penn State. Just a couple of the names that yeah. were still on the board. Yeah, and, and so you're looking at basically this football team answering the same set of questions they answered before. Do we have a lockdown corner? You're going to have to pay Tyson Campbell. You're going to have to make mm -hmm. a decision, uh, especially if they do go to more press man like you're describing mm -hmm. uh, with, with Ryan Nielsen being hired as the defensive coordinator. Do you have uh, an interior guy that can crash the boards uh, and, and basically make something happen with that pass pressure up front? And do you have an offensive lineman that you can count on to man the middle? So those are yeah. three big questions that this team has to answer, and you can throw the wide receiver in there. Yeah, too. but I mean, because you got a, you got an aggressive defensive coordinator who who's bringing the house fifty three percent of the time. That means people gotta get home. Yeah, or people gonna get burnt. Exactly, because if they if they're playing man and no one is getting to the quarterback, man. my gosh, exactly. man! Uh, all right, big source. On that note, uh, you can head out and enjoy right. the. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon. You got it. Uh, temperatures climbing into the 60s, high 60s today, and I think it's even going to be like 80 by the end of the week, and then it's probably going to go back to being cold. So we've had a, a good run of cooler weather. Uh, let's get ready for Coach Campo coming in the 2 o'clock hour. Beaver Chevy, Beaver Toyota bringing you today's show. Don't forget online and on the lot. They've got great deals going on and those incentives. They do not end when you head into a new calendar year. They're going to start moving those models out and bringing the new ones in. BeaverChevrolet.com BeaverToyotaStAugustine.com You heard what they said? At least what Mel Kuyper said as far as the draft goes. Uh, what say you about that? You can hit the text line at 641-1010. XL Primetime's Coach Dave Campo is brought to you by Bold City Heating and Air. Online at BoldCityAC.com He's got a chance here to match. Realistically, need at least 25 yards. Love. Pressure up the middle. Runs away. Throws across his body. And that is picked. 49ers have it. Greenlaw. Still up. He needs to get down. Greenlaw still on his feet. He's got to go down. He's go down and the go game's down. over. San Francisco takes over. Meanwhile, I was running... Through my brain, keep running. Yeah. Score. Hit the over, <laughs> please. Uh, but Coach Campo, who joins us now, you hear that play uh, with the Jordan Love mistake at the end of the ball game, Coach. And that's a defensive coordinator's dream. Push him, pressure him, 
let him extend the play and then throw back into the middle of the field for an easy pick. Hated it for him, but that that's a defensive quarterback. Yeah, I, that was a tough one. Uh, you know, again, that's a young quarterback that, that uh, you know, hadn't been in that situation very much and, you know, tried to make a play and he probably uh. saw Brett or uh, uh, Rodgers make the same play True. 20 times during his career. But. but but as you mentioned, Brett, we remember that one oh. uh, in a Minnesota Vikings uniform against the Saints, and he threw right back into coverage, and Porter picked it off. Absolutely. Uh, and made him pay dearly for it. All right, so we'll at least hit a highlight coming back each time with our head coach, uh, Dave Campo, longtime defensive coordinator for many, many years, and, of course, defensive coach here uh, back under the JDR days. If you guys want to hit the text line, 641-1010, you can throw a, a question coach's way. But we'll just we'll definitely hit on all the games. But let's start off with as a defensive coordinator for so long. What do you think about Ryan Nielsen being hired here as the Jags' choice for DC? Well, you know the interesting thing he's a little bit of a no name, to be perfectly honest with you. You know he's a guy that uh, has, you know, come up through the ranks. He actually coached at Central Connecticut State University, home of Dave Campo. So. <laughs> He's got a little bit of uh, good background there. Yeah. yeah, a little bit of street cred. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you, he did a, a really good job in Atlanta from a statistical standpoint. There's yeah. no question about that. And when you listen to the players talk, you know, he's all about uh, pressure and, and how you approach things. And, and I think that was a little bit missing here. Not so much pressure, but just that attitude that we're going to be aggressive and we're mm -hmm. going to we're going to go after people and and I think that bodes well. Uh, you have to have the right people to be able to lock up on guys, so and I think that will determine that will be determined a little bit in the draft mm -hmm. in some cases. And, but I like the fact that he's a disciplined guy. You know, there's this concern, and and I think I mentioned this before that D line coaches don't always get coordinator jobs mm -hmm. because of the fact that they're zeroed into the front and you know it's usually the linebackers you can say the same thing about secondary coaches you know secondary coaches sometimes are just zeroed in to one thing the passing game but right. but uh you know the one thing about it is that the guy has proven that he can take a defense that was statistically bad and make it into a, a decent defense and and especially in the passing game and that's going to be interesting because I think they're going to have to bring in a secondary coach mm -hmm. that compliments him mm -hmm. because he's going to need some help on the back end. That's you know I've been around a lot of D line coaches. I love them. Yeah. They're they're tough and they're you know aggressive and all that. But you know you got to know the passing game in this league. And so that's where number one we get into press man and are there enough man corners right now on this roster? So let's put that off to the side because since you brought up bringing in a passing game coordinator bringing in somebody to help with that secondary. The two names that I know were floated by Miles Garrett of Fox 5 Atlanta yesterday were Jerry Gray, who was the assistant head coach of the defense in Ryan Nielsen's lone year in the ATL. He also floated Dave Huxtable, who, according to a nooner, I didn't know this, mm -hmm. Dave Huxtable's son played baseball at JU. Oh, um, nice so, again, time. those are two older guys. That I heard that his nephew, Cliff, used to play at Temple. Oh, that yes, that's a nice little factoid. Well, I know Remember both. That. Of, I know both of those guys. As yeah. a matter of fact, I coached with one of them. Okay, Dave Huxtable mm -hmm. was a GA at Iowa State when I was ah, there back in the day. So okay. I know I've known Dave uh, since. 
1983. Uh, Jerry Gray is an excellent coach, okay? He's a little tough to work for because he is the reason. He's the Arden key of the secondary in the National Football League. <laughs> the inventor. League. But that's okay. That's okay. Because obviously in pass defense, I think the pressure combined with what he did with their secondary, mm-hmm. who I don't think was great. You know, I mean, from a, the year before, they were not. Right. And I think he did a good job with them. So I would be uh, fine with that, especially since he's worked with Nielsen. And, and you know, they have a working relationship, so to speak. Uh, Dave Huxtable, a fine young coach. I really don't know really what he's done since since he left there, but mm-hmm. I do know him as a person, and and he's really he was a, a really a good young man when I knew him. So it looks like he was kind of their Bob Sutton, if you may, last year. Right. He was a senior defensive assistant. Um, in terms of where he's been, obviously spent quite quite a few years from 1982 when he was on the same staff as Coach Campo until 2000 and man oh man 2022. Spent that whole time in college at North Carolina, at Alabama, right. NC State, which is obviously where he linked up with Ryan Nielsen when he was the coach there. And then last year, spent his first year in the NFL with yeah. Ryan Nielsen. See, and I think that's, you know, I I would think that if they can get Jerry Gray to come, that would probably be something that they would look at. Mm-hmm. Because I think not only is he a good technician, but he's experienced, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think they would need an experienced guy back there, so to speak, to be does able that, to, you know, to, to marry the two and be uh, Does good. that check the box that Doug's looking for, meaning I don't have to pay as much attention to everything? Absolutely. And, and the interesting thing is going to be, you know, uh, they're a man, more of a man team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we were a zone blitz team here and whether that was, philosophy or whether that was personnel you know I have some questions on how guys play man-to-man around here so it might lend himself to bringing in a couple of corners whether it's in the draft or in in free agency or whatever if they were going to press man and and like they do a lot because that's what was brought up to me yesterday Joe Cullen came here in 2021 and granted that roster uh well a little deplete of talent back then and he had all intentions of running man because that was the system he was coming from in Baltimore. He got here, he saw his personnel and said, um, maybe Tyson Campbell looks a little bit better in zone. So that well, could also be Shaq. the case. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. we really, and, Shaq. and we really said the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when I got here, I, you know, talking about, you know, I, I don't think these guys are really talking Shaq, especially. Yeah. I, I didn't know about Campbell that much early. But, uh, you know... Again, press man is a little bit different than playing off man. Mm-hmm. You know, press man, if you got a guy that's got some length and can get his hands on guys and and has and can run, uh, you know, you can you can teach a guy, I think, to be good there. You might have to help him at times with the free safety and some of that kind of stuff, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I think they're going to have to do what their personnel dictates, though. Yeah. I, I, I would have to say that for sure. Yeah, because you, you have to ask the question, do you have that player right yeah. now? Yeah. And, and I, I, I would say brash and bold yeah. and, a, and a set of stones. If you're yeah. going to play press man, you got to be willing to make initiate contact, grip the receiver, or uh, uh, be feisty with him and, and try and take him in a direction he doesn't want to go. 
and then you got to turn and run. Yeah, and I be mean, able to make a play. Yeah, and I, I you know, we don't have a, pl- a plethora mm-hmm. of corners. Right. If we, you know, two of them are free agents, right? Uh, well, you 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 don't know exactly what you're going to do financially with Darius Williams. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so and and obviously Tyson Campbell's coming up and, and yeah. with the contract. Yeah, I I I said that wrong. Yeah. Not free yeah. agents, but they're. They've got one more year yeah. after this one. Both of right? those guys are looking They're at that. They're into their next year, right. Yeah. And, and then you're, you're you're looking at the other guys. Uh, Trey Herndon had to play off of that that offer. Right. Uh, you've got Buster and all these other guys that you you played. You've got yep. Greg Jr. who was hurt quite a bit. Anyway, right. you do not have a luxury of, of, of a deep depth chart. Yeah. So one of our nooners on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures notes, and this is something that I know our buddy Gus Logue also noted um, on social media last Stop. week. Tyson Campbell spent his college career playing man at Georgia for Kirby Smart. So where does this notion of he's not a good man corner come from? And so I know Gus went through, and I'll pull the stats up, and we'll get to it on the other side of our next time out. He went through and pulled up the stats of, like, how much man he's actually played in the NFL, and it's a pretty small sample size. And so maybe that suggests we can't write him off completely as not being compatible it's just that the Jags haven't implemented it. Well, that's it. That's philosophy. Now, there's one or the other. It's either philosophy or it's who your guys Personnel. are. Yeah. And they obviously made the decision for whatever reason with, with uh, Caldwell that they were going to be a zone team with zone blitz principles. Mm-hmm. And that's – I think – first of all, I'm excited because I think they're going to put Trayvon Walker's hand on the ground. If they do that, in my opinion, they're improving the defense right from the very beginning. It's good to hear. And if that's the case, then you can move Trayvon. Trayvon's the kind of guy that could could go at at a, a, a you know an outside end position mm-hmm. and could kick down to a guard. Okay. You know, which is what you with, do with yeah. a four three, but their hands are on the ground all the time. And yeah. when you do that. That's a philosophy. So it'll be interesting to see there what, what happens. Yeah, with strength and athleticism. So let's bring that up. What you visualize personnel to be with a 4-3 uh, and what Josh Allen represents on the other side because he also has had his hand on the ground and has thrived. So we'll do that coming up. It's uh, Coach Campo time, 2 o'clock hour. we got Campo and Joe with our podcast coming up on Facebook Live at 3 o'clock. So appreciate y'all hanging out with us. This is XL Primetime, protected by Preferred Roofing on 1010XL. Big win on Sunday afternoon for Joe's Detroit Lions headed to the NFC song, Championship too. game. When is it? The, I know we had the, the stat about their first divisional round game since they faced Coach Campo and the Cowboys. When was the last time they made the conference championship game? Uh, I'm trying to remember. We go back to 93. They might have made it in 91. Might have made it. Did they, it. Coach? Do you remember? I, I don't remember. I know. Uh, I mean, they made it to the, well, they made it to the divisional round in, right. in 93. Because they right. faced yeah. the Cowboys, right? Well, 91. 91, they 91, faced. they beat us in the second round. So that's the yeah, divisional Yeah, they went to the round, conference right? title. So, so they, they lost to the, lost they went to the, the Redskins. Game, okay. Yeah, okay, now, uh, at least this, it says Detroit has not returned to the championship game since 
1957. So that's well, this that's says, the Super Bowl, of course, because oh, that's that. But that the was what they called it back then. Was the conference championship? I'm pretty sure. So that. that would only be one time, right? I'm yeah. pretty sure that was yeah. it. Well, yeah. They lost 41 to 10 to the Redskins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I wasn't born then, so for Coach Campo worried about uh, referencing Dave Huxtable and that making him feel dated. Uh, yeah. That that's how long it's been, <laughs> Detroit Lions fans out there. Absolutely. Well, there's only four teams that haven't been to the Super Bowl, right? And that, we're one of them. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So, but, and I'm almost positive that's the only time in yeah. the Super Bowl era that they've that, been there. So, I, that's probably true. Yeah. I promised you those stats from Gus. Here they are. In 2022, Tyson Campbell was a top 30 cornerback among 125 qualifiers in the following metrics on snaps playing cover zero, cover one, or cover two man in man coverage, Coach Campo. Completion percentage allowed, yards per attempt, yards per coverage snap, total EPA, EPA per target success rate allowed. And that was top 30 in all of those metrics. Again, in cover zero, cover one, cover two. So does that suggest to you Maybe he just hasn't had the opportunity that, that, versus, of course, what we saw in 2021 where – and maybe some of that was just he's a rookie not being able to turn his head around. Yeah. Well, he did that a little bit early. I mean, I, I'm not concerned with that as much as I am whether or not he can, you know, change direction and do all the things that are necessary. I think he's a pretty good-looking corner. I mean, I mentioned to you when, in training camp, I think – Mia, we were standing there, and I said, look at that guy. Mm -hmm. If I had him, I'd still be coaching in the secondary. <laughs> you know, the guy is an athlete. And he can turn and, and run. And he can turn and run. So, you know, obviously that it had to be a philosophy of some sort in order to get in that situation. Uh, and I know Darius Williams is not a great uh, – you know, mm -hmm. he's, he's more of an off-corner, I would think. Mm -hmm. But uh, – We'll see. All right, so the other thing that we threw out there before the break was Josh Allen, who has been successful with a four-man front, and we all linked it to the guy playing next to him and Calais Campbell. But now you have the opportunity to see Trayvon hand down and Allen hand down. Real key who they have in between those two guys, but how good do you think Josh can be? I think he'd be very good. Yeah. I mean, you know, first of all, I think with the hand on the ground, you got a much better chance of rushing the passer. That's mm -hmm. my opinion, you know, over the – course of the years right you're either sacrificing that to be able to drop those guys every once in a while mm -hmm. uh in the three four or you 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 i mean that's the only advantage to me mm -hmm. to have the stand up outside guys so you know i think with both those guys hands on the ground i think their chances of pressure in the quarterback are even greater mm -hmm. first of all you got better leverage on the tackle because you're starting from lower and, and number two, you got better get off because your weight's on that hand and you're, you're, you're getting off. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, to me, I think that the, uh, you know, you know, I've said many times that, that it's a, it's a matter of how, it's not a matter of how you line up. It's the philosophy of whether or not you have the hands on the ground because sure. the three, four, you line up in the same fronts as you're doing the four, three. You know, you, you, mm -hmm. you're kicking down one side or the other, mm -hmm. you know, where you're getting uh, the same looks as in a 4-3, and you're in nickel so much you're in a four-man four line. Mm -hmm. Well, the difference is in what you do with those outside guys uh, in order to get that done. So to run a, a really good 4-3, you got to have a big end and a, an open end, and you got to have a guy in a three technique that's a player. The guy that's on the guard on the one side, 
because that guy is a get-off guy. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, hopefully, from what I've heard from Nielsen, a guy like uh, the guy that had the bad back for us. Uh, Devon Hamilton. Devon Hamilton is that kind of guy if Who's he's 100%. Been Primarily, well, yeah, but yeah. he's both. I mean, yeah. I think he's the guy that gets off the ball if okay. he's healthy. So he you did. put you put him at that three tech position. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't okay. know who's going to be there, but I, I I certainly think he's he's a guy that you can kind of build with a little bit. Okay, so then, if he's healthy, and then Trayvon's the big end. In yeah, that, I'd in say that he's scenario? the big end, and you play the other guy in the and, open inside, and he gets to get kicked down inside yeah. on down and distance. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, which would help. Yep. Yeah. So. It's going to be interesting to see what they do and approach, but uh, I think they'll need another corner. I, if I my pick is to pick a corner in the first round if he's there. Great segue, Coach Campo, because I do want to get to some of this sound from uh, Pete Prisco's interview this morning. His time he spent with Jaguars today. Right. Uh, he was extremely transparent on his thoughts on Trent Balky on the roster, on the development of said roster. JJ, if you could ready, please number twelve, number thirteen, because he went into detail as far as cover corners and why the Jaguars' current crop of corners may not exactly fit with Ryan Nielsen. And then he also went on to discuss the lineback- inside linebacking yeah. core, which I definitely want to ask you about as well. Right. So here is Pete right. Prisco from this morning on Jaguars today. With this guy coming in as a defensive coordinator, they better get man-to-man cover corners. Mm. That's what he wants to do. I mean, you look at their corners, they, those guys, you know, they're not man-to-man cover corners. I, I think that, that has to be a priority, some way to get those guys. Okay. So, so obviously, that's how Pete feels, yeah. um, and, and you would agree. So you yeah. like Mel Kuyper going out, getting Cooper DeGene, a couple other mocks I've seen, yeah. um, the Alabama corner, among yeah. the, there's, even there's the Toledo gonna guy. Be, there's probably going to be six or seven corners going the first round from what I'm hearing. Now, I haven't seen them yet. I haven't had a chance to look at them yet. But right. I, I know that, uh, you know, there's going to be a corner there at, at uh, 17 that is a quality first round corner and and I think that's going to be there'll probably be more of those guys there I know I, I think Kuiper has only one other corner beyond 17 is that correct yeah I'm spinning down right now I got a cornerback uh uh Quinion Mitchell out of Toledo yeah right. he's got 30th. him going 30th yeah uh and so really so he's got and, two others yeah. after. he's got two he's after him right? Yeah. right after that a kid out of the kid out of Mizzou yeah uh, right and it's yeah. Rick Straw yeah so I, I think that there will be a couple guys there let me put it that way. Right. As far as an interior defensive lineman, there may be one there. Right. Mm-hmm. If there's one there. So, and, and again, I'm going on past, you know, wh- where those guys go and, and, and the type of guy we need inside there. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think, I think a lot of Jaguar fans, Nooner Nation out there, see all of these mock draft guys mocking corner and they panic. Because in their eyes, if it's not an offensive line or a wide receiver and it's not helping Trevor, then what are we doing? If you could explain, Coach Campo, why corner is a premium position to look for in the first round, just like a wide receiver or a quarterback, but also how it's not – you also can't completely dismiss the offensive and defensive line in the first round either and kind of striking that balance. Well, let me just put it this way. You win the game with the guys up front you got to win the line of scrimmage, and, and we didn't do that this year. You know, when you look at it, and that's probably why they're not around, the, mm-hmm. the coaching staff or whatever. I don't think the guys played well enough in, in, on both sides of the ball. So if there's guys there that can help them in the front, I think that's a, that's a pretty good priority. But 
to find those guys. You can find some of those guys in on the offensive side of the ball in later yeah. rounds, whether it's second round or whatever. Right. Uh, Just- but – a corner, there are only so many guys that can line up and cover those guys, the, the cream of the crop of the wide receivers. Those guys have uh, been playing, catching, running since they were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, And so you have to have – that's a position that's really important because you have to be able to cover guys in order to win in the league. It's a pass, it's a pass league. Yeah. So it really comes down to me, it's still the same. It's a, it's a, a rush end quarterback, a rush end, a corner, left tackle, a left tackle. Yeah. And then let's go to work with yeah. the rest of the guys and, find and, and, and win on third down or get them off the field on third down. Right. Honestly, that, right. that's it. All right, right. We'll keep it rolling with coach six, four, one, 10, 10. You got a question. You can throw it our way. It is XL primetime. D'Amico Ryans has been as a defensive play caller in the NFL. Two years in San Francisco. His first in Houston. He's watching Lamar Jackson take it in. Touchdown Ravens. Jackson keeps Stanley in front of him. Touchdown Lamar. This is XL Primetime protected by Preferred Roofing on 1010XL. We have uh, Get Your Motor Running uh, when Coach comes on our show. And it took a little bit of time to get El Boogie's motor running the other day. And then when he got it going, uh, he basically said, I need to go ahead and throw this into takeover mode. Yep. Uh, and he took off and, and made some play. Well, you Ooh. got the two magicians playing yeah. in this next one. Yeah, Mahomes versus El Boogie. And, Coach, it's, I would think, uh, a defensive coordinator's nightmare. In other words, if you're the coordinator, would you rather be preparing for Jared Goff and Brock Purdy, meaning be on either side of that, or preparing for Mahomes or, or Lamar? Well, you just answered the question. You know, <laughs> I, I'd rather be going with those two, uh, the first two you mentioned, yeah, than yeah. the second two. And, 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 look, I love, like, Lamar's numbers, they were they were ugly uh, in terms of throwing the football. Right. But still made the plays and found likely, based off of his runs, over the middle, caught him napping, got a, a perfect play, almost a jump ball, for likely to go up and get. And, and then the other plays that he was able to make, uh, they're dangerous. Who's who's more dangerous? Let's just spend a quick minute. We'll, we'll do a little more on Friday as far as the uh, AFC and NFC championship games are concerned. Uh, who do you think has the upper hand, home teams or teams that are coming in on the road? Well, the road? you know, I, I've mentioned before, I don't think that the home t- uh, field advantage is as big today as it, mm-hmm. it used to be for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe you've got different athletes. But uh, I, I'm – listen – the champion is a champion until he's not. Right. And so, you know, a guy like Mahomes, they're both very similar from the standpoint that if they have to take over a game, they can t- take over a game. To be an MVP, you got to do something that somebody else can't do. And both of those guys can do that. Yeah. One of them is different because when, when Lamar runs, you can't tackle him. I mean, he is – he when he gets going, you can't get him on the ground. Mm-hmm. He's he's like a wide receiver or you know a run after catch guy. Remember his in line, the middle of the field, pretty good for a running back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And 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 Mahomes is not that kind of a guy, but he's a guy that can extend and make plays that other people can't make. And I and, think what's interesting is for the first time they both have solid defenses. Yes, yeah. And this is the best defense that Kansas has had. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Kansas City's had since he's been there. You know, the other so, thing that I noticed from the other night, 
Bills Chiefs is that Josh Allen got off early. He didn't throw for more than 180 yards, but anyway, he got off early with some runs yep. and very hard to defend that. And yep. Kansas City's like, what the heck? They're gassed a little bit. He's taking. Anyway, Mahomes comes out in the out of the locker room beginning of the second half. He says, "You know what? I'm not going to wait to run. I'm going to run right away." Yeah. And he started making some plays too with his leg. Yeah. Plus uh, the one he made where he was running and he faked like he was going to flip it oh. over the guys. You know what I mean? That's the that's him. You know, that's and that's why those guys about. are there. I'm, I, you know, you ask me what I think. I, you know, a champion is a champion until they're not. Mm-hmm. And I really think that Kansas City's been there. Uh, Baltimore's is been knocking at the door a few times, mm-hmm. but hasn't gotten there. I'm, I, I like Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I, I think they'll still play well, whether they're on the road or not. Three and a half point line, according to my bookie. So I will be curious to see if that fluctuates over the next few yeah. days or if it settles in at that juncture, Coach Campo. Let's get it back to the Jags real quick before we say goodbye and you guys fire up a Campo and Joe podcast. Wanted to ask you, this 4-3 versus 3-4, we know, hybrid fronts. It's all about nickel and dime in this day and age. However, pairing together, Pete Prisco's point this morning on Jaguars today that Chad Muma was a wasted pick. Do you expect him to see the field more if in base, which you would think maybe the Jaguars run a little bit more, they are running a 4-3? Well, if they do go to some uh, base fronts, it just depends on what the front is, whether or not you really need a third linebacker or is Josh Allen able to come off the ball and and play on the, on the one side or the other or be on the tight end standing up. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a, you know that he can do that, I think. And uh, to me, uh, you know, I don't know where I don't know who Muma is because we really haven't seen enough of him to really say. I would have to say that Aluakan is going to be here, right? And so he's going to, you know, until Aluakan is until he gets to the point financially where they have to let him go, right? I think he'll be the guy, and I think Muma will still be in a, a young guy because that might be able to take his place. This boy has proven that he's a leader. He can wear right. the sticker on his helmet. He can make all the calls. Right. Uh, and, and the Muma discussion was also the Devin Lloyd discussion. Right. Two guys drafted, one you traded up into the first round to get, right. and then you drafted the same positional guy in the third round, and those guys have been zigging and zagging and really haven't, like you said, I don't know who Chad Muma is. I think it's a fair, a fair right. comment. And, and I think the one, uh, the other thing I've heard about Nielsen, and, and again, I haven't watched enough Atlanta film to say, okay, he's this or he's right. that. I know he's a man guy. I know he presses the corners a lot, that kind of stuff. But uh, what I've heard is that his linebackers go downhill. Yes. In other words, they, they attack the line of scrimmage, and our guys did not. Mm-hmm. Our guys were lateral players all the time. Boye did have two sacks, yeah. which he had, and I the think, picks. six yeah. career yeah. sacks. Well, because they were zone blitzing. The you know, they were zone blitzing, and the linebacker right. has to. But one of them is coming blitz. all the time. But mm-hmm. I'm talking about when the ball is run, yeah. you know, attacking gaps and stuff right. like that. We were we were real lateral. I saw a lot of – what I saw a lot from our team was – you know, when you've got a, a tackle there and you're going to double team, but you're not going to double team, you're going to double and then go up to the next level. Well, if a linebacker's tacking the line of scrimmage, that helps the guy being hit by the, by the outside guy that's going to go up. 
but it also makes it tough on the guy that's hitting and going up because you got the guy right in your face. The, to me, that's what I heard this guy is. He's more of a, when, when you read it, go get go it. Go get it. Makes and, total and, sense. And that, here, that could be a plus for here, both of those yeah. guys. Right. So here are the stats for the two inside linebackers for the Falcons last year. They combined for 18 tackles for loss, six sacks, yeah. three forced fumbles, and a pick. Those two guys, Caden Ellis and Nathan Landman. Yeah, uh, Household names. Yeah, I don't know yes. the guys. Household names. And I'll, I'll say that's why I'm saying that he's got that reputation yeah. of those guys making plays. Which means you had to have big bodies up front for those yeah. guys to make Absolutely. those plays. So, Absolutely. All right, we, uh, we had a great time with you, Coach, as always. Uh, we've got our takeaways coming up. Then our Campo and Joe podcast. Stick around. The Francis Show is coming up. Now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. Frank Frangie joins us now. The Frangie Show. Getting ready to roll, Frank. How you doing? Well, I'm good. I'm enjoying the show today. Got that Hayes guy out of here finally. Yeah, exactly. You run him off. You know, let me tell you what. You're looking up here. I I thought there was a little pep in your step, I thought. Last time, Billy Napier gave him larynge- laryngitis, right, like right. full-on laryngitis, right. so he couldn't talk. Right. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if anyone attacked him this time. He just ran him off. I <laughs> think it's good. You know, I think the show's an upgrade. I mean, uh, I mean Hayes to Campo is one of the greatest upgrades of all time. Okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a win. Uh, you talk about upgrade. That's the upgrade of all upgrades. That's in Wikipedia as upgrades. That's yeah. the picture yeah. you'd it's see. It's a plus. So. It's a plus. It's a plus. Yeah. Uh, now we wanted Coach to be the defensive yeah. coordinator for the Jags. Yeah. That would have been an upgrade too, but. Uh, but it, it, the way he's described it, and you guys yeah. talked about it, Ryan Nielsen, we're going to find out if he'll be that spark plug on that side of the ball. Yeah, I don't. I, when I'm, all we all we can do on these, and Dave, you know, we just ask around. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to watch and see. But what I can tell you is, he's the guy people wanted yeah. when they hired Mike Caldwell. He's a wonderful guy. But if Doug hasn't hadn't hired Mike Caldwell, he wasn't going to go get hired. That that rotation. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan Nielsen was probably they were they thought Ryan Nielsen was going to get hired. So, so they hired a guy that they thought was. So we'll see. We'll see. He's, yeah, the only he's energetic. Is, he's got. He's a little younger. Joe Cohen. He's going to be running around yelling and hyping. And I kind of like that. They they mm-hmm. didn't have that on the staff this year. And that's what uh, Coach Campo just brought up. Yeah, when they, you look at they the didn't demeanor, have that guy. They right? Didn't. When you look at the demeanor. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Doug and Mike are kind of similar. Correct. And. I mean, who's who is your rah rah? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And then, but rah rah with a purpose. Well, it's yeah. it's the you win up front, yeah, and you got to have a guy that's right. you know that's got a little bit of energy. Yeah, and he so only has one more year experience as yeah. a D coordinator. Yeah. So yeah, he has he has not called the defenses very often. That's you'd be disingenuous if you that's said real. he had, even even though he's had the title of co for a while. Um, so so we'll see. So we'll see what happens. I am. Uh, how do you like? Do you like this time of year? Is this good? Where, where are you on this? Oh story? yeah, I, I I love it. I do you? Yeah, man. I said for me, I love NFL. Mm-hmm. Right. But for me, other this is a down. During a bad here. sports month, Frank, if you think about it. But you you sound like at blue. least next yeah. month, maybe you guys will start you know tapping into college. Well, you guys yeah. on the Frangie show, yeah. I know you've been right. to UNF yeah. and JU yeah. already. Yeah. But the rest of the rest of the world yeah. will will remember that college basketball yeah. is happening and by, then tap in. By the way, you've got UNF this week. I heard you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. UNF's really good. Mm-hmm. Oh, this, the men's this, team. Yeah, I have yeah, the women's yeah. games uh, okay. this week. But okay, yeah, my bad. Mm-hmm. UNF's men's team. This might be as good as they've been since they had the good team. Mm-hmm. They're not going. They're not going to be as good as they were when they had Dallas Moore and Bo Beach for a long time, maybe ever. 
But other than that group, Joe, you need. I'm telling you, they're, they're, yeah. you go outside. Well, and they were yeah. picked. Oh, to I see Joe in the hospitality room having a couple yeah. of them back. Right, <laughs> and they were picked to finish second to worst. Yeah, but they're pretty, second to last. But they're they're like legitimately good now. Yeah, and, and Matt and Coach Matthew Driscoll knows that he's got a little something brewing and building. How many games, how many games do they play in the conference? Not 18 like the SEC, right? No, it's 16. I'm pretty okay. sure they've played eight. They've played now 19. So, games so let's so say far. let's say it's 16 in the in the conference. I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. Let's say it is. Would you be surprised if they're thirteen and three or something? I wouldn't. I mean, I, I mean they're, that, they're pretty good. The thing is, is like I don't know because I said it on the Ju yeah, broadcast yeah. on Saturday. I was like, I think the game of the day in the A Sun should be Florida Gulf Coast and Stetson. Yeah. One of whom yeah. UNF lost to on a buzzer beater. The other one they routed by twenty. Yeah. But that was after yeah. they beat FAU. Yeah, yeah right. that FAU that went to the Final Four, and, and Stetson I, blew them out. So I like watched, I don't know how me, good I they are. I watched that Stetson UNF game. They beat them at the buzzer. UNF. Dominated the whole game. Yeah, mm-hmm. Stetson won the last five. It really should be five and zero. We'll conference. talk college basketball today. We're going to talk about the fact that uh, this isn't my favorite month. There's no, there's, you can't have every favorite month, Joe. You, yeah. I used to ask Blue. I said Blue, you, what's your worst, least favorite sports month? He goes, I can't, I can't answer. Yeah, it that. never so, no, I, I know, but I know if yeah. you had of the twelve, what would you rank twelve? He goes, I can't answer. October's he, one. Blue would never. He would never answer it. He right. would literally never answer the question. Oh, really? He, he said, I'm not going. I like sports so much. I won't give you. I won't give you the worst <laughs> one. So. so we'll talk about that. We'll talk a little bit about the, the college. I, we talked about the portal a little bit the other day. To me, his point. Talk a little bit about college basketball. Who's good? Who's not? Um, who people favor? Uh, college basketball, and you know you're a voter. I was going to say, do you need me to come in for crosstalk yeah. for helmets and heels? Yeah, yes, do that. For I got us. you. No but problem. I, but I really want to talk really about. Is there college basketball passion when it's not your team? Does anybody sit back and watch? And you have to. Yeah, but, but not anybody, like the NFL. Does anybody watch North Carolina like, Duke? Yeah. I used to watch. I used Honestly, to, you want to know I the answer? I used to love North Carolina Duke. Yeah. I used to love it. And I think part of this is because of who they have on their individual yeah. rosters. I'd say there's more passion in the women's game right now. Yeah, it could be. Well, like, you know the between players, the Yukons, the South Carolinas, you know, the Iowas, like there you know, is a more of a like. You know, that's a, you know, that's a really good point. You can, everybody can name Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark. But they can't name a lot of the men's players. They can name the teams. Right. That's a really good point. All coming up. Thanks, guys. All right. Sounds good. Francis Show coming up next. But first. Now, today's takeaways brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. Coach, lead us off with a takeaway. Yeah. My takeaway is this is a great weekend coming up. You know, the the uh, you really get the the cream of the crop in this ball game. because yeah. and, and I think it it bore out that the best four are there. And so this is going to be a, a great football weekend. I'm looking forward to it, and that's it. I'm looking forward to the discourse coming out of both games. Um, of course, the, the, the MVP versus Mr. Champion himself, mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes, and then the former number one overall pick versus Mr. Irrelevant. And Lord help us if the Niners do win. The Brock Purdy discourse, it's only just begun, folks. Oh, yeah. Uh, my takeaway is yesterday I brought up Nick Dunlap, the uh, amateur who won on the PGA mm-hmm. Tour. He still has not decided whether he's going to turn pro or not. He had to give back a million and a half, which he would have won, and he still doesn't know if he's going to start collecting cash. And he pulled the out of Tour. the Farmers Open he's this not playing. weekend. So uh, good on him. He said, uh, he goes, I owe other people time to think about this, which I thought was pretty good. All right, we are out. We say thanks to Beaver Chevy, Beaver Toyota. You can find them on the lot and online, Beaver Toyota, St. Augustine.com, BeaverChevrolet.com. you got the French show coming up next. Joe C., Mio O'Brien, Coach Campo, Big Surson, JJ. We'll hopefully have Matt back manana.